This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Pob, and today I'm going to be covering my Iron Halo experience. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Iron Halo was this past last weekend. You guys are listening to this on Monday the 9th, uh, so the Iron Halo was last weekend. It was a lot of fun. It was a large event in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, near Tulsa, Oklahoma, really small town. It was held at the Rock Ministries, which is, if if you've never been to the Iron Halo, Jason puts off a, a great event. It, there's 3D printed terrain. He 3D prints all of his terrain. Uh, there's a lot of prize support, and the Rock Ministries, the place where he's had it the last two years, is is a great venue it is absolutely insane they have a virtual reality room they have a malt shop with burgers and an actual legitimate milkshakes an indoor skate park ninja warrior training theme drone racing archery tag a rock wall a gym a playground an arcade a stage theater setup it, and all this is free for kids so which is which is why I'm I'm bringing all of this up. It's just it's such an amazing place. They accept charities, they accept donations. Uh, they're nonprofit, and I I just I really wanted to give the Rock Ministries a big shout out because the, their place is awesome and what they do for that community and what they do for those kids is incredible. And if you ever had a chance to go to the Iron Halo, it's worth it I think just to support such a great organization like that. So that aside first part of the episode is going to be all about the Iron Halo. I don't really talk about my own tournament results and my own tournament games a lot on this podcast. I, I try to shy away from that because it's a lot of mono monolo- uh, monologuing from me and a lot of talking. And I know you guys don't really like to hear me talk a lot, but I, I really want to do that because for two reasons. One, this podcast was founded on the idea of talking about tournament games and all of the things that come with it. And when I talk about my Iron Halo experience and I talk about the games I played, I'm going to get into slow playing. I'm going to get into army list building. I'm going to get into tactics. I'm going to get into what you should do if your opponent is not so good. What what you do if you're behind. There's drama. There's intrigue. There's a lot of really good stories that I think you guys all want to hear. And every time I talk to people about the Iron Halo and my Iron Halo experience, everyone's loved listening to them. So I wanted to share that with you guys. I'm going to talk about uh, my six games that I played, the specific... What, what happened kind of kind of like the drama of the the tournament you know if you were there you would have you would have known all this and i'm just going to talk about my experience um, i'm going to hype it up and that's it i think you guys really like it on the back half of the episode i brought in val heffelfinger from the facebook community verse and we're going to attempt to bridge the gap 
between competitive tournament players and non-competitive tournament players. I don't want to call them casuals because uh, as we talk about in the in the second part of this episode, there's really no such thing as a true casual player you know, in, in this hobby, you know, there, there are, obviously there are casuals, uh, but when we, when we as tournament players or, or maybe, uh, me specifically in my circle of people, when we talk about casual players, we talk about the, the non-tournament players like, Oh, they're the casuals. They brought casual lists. Right. But in reality, there's not really casual 40 K players, you know, like sure. They might not be very good at tournaments. They might game casually instead of competitively, but they might be like hardcore into the lore. You know, they might have own all the Horus Heresy books, you know, or they might invest all all this time into painting, right? Which is a very non-casual thing. Uh, the, by the definition of casual, you know, you're you're not investing a lot of your time and money and efforts into this thing. You're experiencing it casually, right? So I, I'm going to try and start shying away from the term casual and using it to describe players who don't play in tournaments because I feel like it's it's a little... It's a it's a little demoralizing. It's it's a little uh, desensitizing, and it's just it doesn't work, right? Because you guys who don't attend tournaments and listen to this podcast, you're not casuals, right? You still love 40k. You're obviously taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast, which I think that alone defines you as not a casual player. Um, and if you if you self subscribe as a casual player and you're cool with that, that's fine. More power to you. You know, maybe you are casual. Maybe you consider yourself casual. Um, but in this mindset. Um, that I'm going to adopt in my podcast. I, I, I'm going to start shying away from that. Anyways, we're going to attempt to bridge the gap between competitive tournament players and non-competitive tournament players. And that's it. That's going to be the episode. Uh, I'm a little sick, guys, so bear with me. I hope I don't sound too bad. And uh, I hope you guys don't mind the late the late uh, recording time. I think I'm going to start switching to this episode being on Monday mornings, released early Monday morning at midnight every time. I guess Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh I'm doing this for two reasons. One, I, I feel like a lot of people don't listen to, when I'm looking at the numbers, a lot of people don't listen to my podcast when I release it on Saturday morning uh, and Sunday morning. And that might just be because of the inconsistencies. I'm sure you guys have noticed. Uh, I, and I've definitely noticed is uh, a lot of the times I, I'm really busy and I don't, I can't get the episode up on time for a specific day every week. Um, you know, it's just, it just happens. Unfortunately, I really need to get into the better habit of that. But Essentially, th that might be one of the reasons why, because I don't have a consistent time. So people just tune in on Monday because they know it's definitely going to be on on Monday. So I'm, I'm just going to make my podcasts on Monday. Uh, so if you're one of my weekend listeners and you don't like that, let me know. Uh, I, I don't know if, how many of you guys listen to on the weekends versus on Mondays. But I feel like in general, my numbers always spike in Mondays anyway. So I feel like that's the majority of my audience. And I think it's just a combination of people going to work. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. You know, and so weekends, weekends are, are enjoyment time. Weekends are not podcast listening time. You know, they might, I'm sure there's people who listen to podcasts while they paint on the weekends and stuff, but I feel like that's done like after you get home from work, after a long day and you just want to relax, turn a podcast on, paint, paint some models, you know, uh, you're, you're driving back from work. You want to listen to a podcast. You just got back from a big event, you know, anyways. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I do. I do look at the numbers, and Mondays are by far my biggest day for when most people, when most of my listeners listen to me. And I, that's just some theor theories, you know. Anyways, moving on. Iron Halo. So I already talked about the Rock Ministries. It's a great, great venue. But go on to the event itself. There, there was a judge. There was Richard Berry, who was the head judge, who did an amazing job. And uh, in my last game, I, I, I think you, you can see why in that that story i think you'll, you'll see why he's such a great judge 
but there was a judge council that I was invited into on Facebook and Messenger, and these judges, you know, basically uh, went back and forth on certain rules. So, so maybe, maybe I, I felt like the judges were more prepared than everyone else in terms of uh, specific rules calling for for arbitrary or weird things like the plasma gun sign or Elysian plasma guns being three damage instead of two, um, just little things like that. So. The Iron Hail did a great job preparing themselves for this tournament, and it was a really well-run tournament. I didn't really have a lot of gripes with the terrain. The, there was actually too much terrain, which is which is rare. Jason, the TO, at the after setup was like, wow, I have too much terrain? That's crazy. That's never happened to me before. That's a good problem to have. If you're a TO and you have too much terrain, especially in 8th edition, you know, you're you're doing something right. So... So you know, all the in in general, I felt like the coverage on the tables was pretty good. There's there's one thing to note, guys. When you're at events, the the tables at the beginning of the event never look the same compared to how they look at the end of the event. Uh, so if you're gonna judge an event based off of your final game, you know, at a certain table, maybe at the bottom tables, you know, maybe, and you're like, oh, it was a shooting gallery because there was no there was no train. Well. People might have just moved terrain. People move terrain for for board display boards all the time. They you know they move terrain to write down notes and and move their dice around and terrain gets knocked down and broken and removed and never replaced. It's just a tournament terrain setting or a tournament terrain uh, scenario or is is always in flux. You know it's it's never one thing. The terrain you know I wish you could just like super glue all their terrain to the mats, but obviously that would cause another problem. Uh, so just keep that in mind. But I didn't hear any complaints about the terrain. I didn't completely hear any complaints about the venue. Uh, so just going to jump right into it. Uh, they did a really good job. The very day one, I showed up on Friday and I actually played in a night joust. And I, I, I personally love Imperial Knights. I already own three Imperial Knights. Um, and I've gotten a tiny bit of notoriety for running three Knights plus Gilliman, um, which which I very quickly stopped running the minute the codexes started coming out um, because it just wasn't the right just wasn't the right list. I might go back to it now now that I I won these Knights. So I, I I was in the Night Joust and I decided to play in the Night Joust. And originally I didn't bring a Knight with me. It was kind of a last minute decision. And the TO was going to give me a Knight, uh, a Knight Errant, a Knight Errant. I think it was a Knight Paladin. It just it wasn't a very good Knight. It was just like a standard you know, Imperial Knight that you, that they came out was like a Knight Paladin or Knight Errant. And, you know, it was, it was cool. Cause you know, obviously I was borrowing a Knight, which is, which is something I was incredibly grateful for, but uh, you know, I, everyone was bringing more powerful Knights than that. Right. So there, they had this like secondhand trader thing going upstairs, going on upstairs. So I went up there and I found a Knight Questor Megara, uh, which, which someone uh, was selling. And I offered to buy it, and they were kind of, you know, going back and forth. Um, and I said, hey, look, listen, if I buy you dinner, like, will you just let me borrow it? I just want it for the night jazz. And the guy was like, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I did that. Oh, sorry, that's the phone. One second. Sorry about that, guys. I'm recording in the studio today. Uh, we're closed on the weekends at Frontline Gaming, but the phone does ring on forever, and I just forgot to turn the ringer down. Anyways, so I was I was in the night jazz, uh, and he had the night Questor Magera, the... Um, it has like a four-up invuln and shooting phase. That's all I knew about it. That's pretty much the only reason why I wanted it. It was also really pretty. It was a really pretty night. It had like a cool death mask, kind of like skull top, and it was black. And it was a cool-looking night. Uh, so I, I took that to the night joust. I ended up winning the night joust, and I won a free knight Acheron, Sarasus Knight Acheron, uh, Forge World painted 
and then the guy ended up selling me the night that I borrowed uh, for cheaper than what I asked for it, which is which is a blessing. So that was really cool. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's always it's always nice to go to little events like that, and uh, I rolled extremely well. You know, Night Joust is, does co basically come down to luck, and on the final Night Joust, though, the one-on-one -on -one finale, finale, I rolled like 11 out of 12 4-up invuln saves against a, a shooting knight, a knight with a battle cannon and a missile launcher, and that that was that was it. I just I looked at him and I was like, I can't I can't do anything. But that's just that's just really good. Uh, so so I did end up winning, uh, and I won the Knight Akron, um, which was awesome. So it was a lot of fun. It was just something I wanted to kind of lead the way into the event. That was kind of my first Iron Halo experience. Uh, I don't want to talk about my first Oklahoma experience. There was the minute I walk into a parking lot, there's this two couple arguing, and it, it got pretty got pretty nasty. But um, so yeah, that was the Iron Halo experience. My very first Iron Halo experience was Friday night. And if you're if you're a TO, small time TO, trying to grow your event, th those kind of little events are, are can really help. You know they. Don't make them your bread and butter. Don't make them something that you push really hard. Uh, but if you have a, a TO uh, like Cameron who's who's dedicated and and really you know really hardworking and just did a good job TOing so a little event like that, um, who just shows up and handles it. If you have someone who's willing to do that for you, just find a find a way to fit it into your event somewhere, right? You know it, it's probably gonna make like not maybe like eight ten people happy, but just that alone you know makes an event better right because because you, you never know if someone's just going to show up and want to play just on a friday night you know uh so that's kind of cool uh, and then uh, saturday morning uh we woke up really early we drove down there and uh, we started the event so my first opponent was a necron player and uh, you know th this there's a term online uh, i'm sure 90 percent of you are familiar with it um, but it's a baby seal Right, so and I'm not gonna say that this player was a baby seal per se, uh, but and, and I don't I don't mean any disrespect to my opponent whatsoever. He was a really nice guy. Uh, he was tactically sound. He was really smart. Um, but he he was either he was newer, uh, maybe newer to the army, uh, newer to the game, uh, newer to the tournament scene. I I don't know how I don't really know much about my opponent's background, uh, but he was definitely a newer player. Uh, and some people would probably call him like a baby seal, right? He was probably it was definitely my easiest game of the tournament, um, and the reason why is because he brought a Necron army with uh, the big the big pylon gun, right? So so it shoots like D6 stupid high damage, stupid high strength shots, right? Just like like strength stupid, AP stupid, damage stupid shots. It shoots D6 of them, or it shoots two D6 normal shots, right? So then these normal shots are like strength six rend one one damage not not really not really that crazy uh it's definitely good at killing big heavy super heavy things um which my army doesn't have oh uh speaking of which let me just go over my army really quick so i brought four gray knight strike squads and a battalion detachment with two elysian commanders uh with plasma pistols and then i also brought the uh, the uh, gray the Knight strike squads i brought scouts in that detachment as well and then I had an assassin. I had three Elysian Cyclopses for deep striking shenanigans, and that was the first. That was the first detachment. The second detachment had Sergeant Cronus and a Whirlwind with a Primaris Psyker, and then I had another Whirlwind, a Thunderfire Cannon, a Rapier with a Space Marine Rapier artillery with a Quad Launcher, and another Clexus Assassin, and then four or two more units of scouts for a total of 20 scouts. And then I had brought Gilliman, my boy Gilliman, 
He's the man. And I think that's it. I'm sure I'm missing something, but that that's that's my list. It, it's it's a really it spreads you out. Deep strikes. I've got I've got 11 deep strike drops, potentially 12 deep strike drops. Um, uh, actually no, it is 11. It's 11 deep strike drops, uh, and then I've got a bunch of other drops. So it's like 22, 23 drops, and it, it's just it's meant to spread the opponent and and really play to the mission and kind of kill what I need to kill. Um, but its big weakness was toughness seven spam and. Basically, if if you have a lot of rhinos and 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 maybe knights, something something with a lot of armor, a lot of high toughness value models that I need to kill, it's not very good at that. It, I didn't bring any. Uh, the plasma guns do an okay job, but beyond the plasma guns overcharging, I don't really have an answer for toughness seven and toughness eight. Right, the the gray knights can chip away um, with mortal wounds. They can they can charge, maybe get a couple of of D three damage wounds through in combat. They can you know they can kind of get in the way a little bit. I've got a missile launcher on a single scout squad, which occasionally might do something, but for the most part, it was just move blocking most of the most of the tournament. So that that was kind of my weakness, but my my strength I was I really built the list to be able to deal with hordes, and I felt like I did that really well. Uh, obviously, I was I I killed infantry very well, which is which is what I wanted, and I feel like that's where the meta was going anyways. So that's why I designed this particular list. Uh, I think I'm gonna stick with this list because every time I played with this list in playtesting and at this event. I've always felt like I could be in every game. Like, every game was winnable. There were no games that were absolutely unwinnable. Uh, in my final game that I lost, I played against probably one of my worst matchups uh, in, in Repressor Tank Spam with Sisters of Battle, or Adeptus Sororities. And that, that was probably one of my worst matchups. And I even felt like that game was win very winnable for me. And if I'd played a little different, which I'll explain when we get to that game, I definitely could have won that game. So... I'm going to stick with this list, and it's something very important that you guys need to understand when you're building your list, is always try and stick to the same list, especially if you feel like every game is winnable. And that's where talking about your game to other people afterwards with an objective mindset, not blaming the dice, uh, not blaming your opponent for a loss, but looking at it objectively and asking yourself, what could I have done to win this game? What could I have done better? So that's, if you go into that mindset, and after that mindset and talking it over with yourself and with other people, you've come to the conclusion that you could have won if you'd done something different, stick with that list. Don't change it. I know a lot of people like to switch lists around and add different things, um, but that's probably one of the biggest things you can do is you can tweak it a teensy bit. Maybe switch a plasma gun out for a melt gun or, or something small, something tiny, um, but you definitely want to stick to the core of your list because you've, 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 found, your, you've found your thing. You found the list that works for you, right? And if you're if you're not okay with um with your list, if you if you're or if you are okay with your list not losing or not winning a lot of games, uh, and and you're just you're happy with your list, and you know that if you could run a different list, uh, maybe in a different faction and do better, but you wouldn't be as happy. Stick with the list that you love, right? So if if you're if you're happy going five and one, four and two in an event with orcs, and you know you could probably go six and zero oh with uh, chaos soup. And, but you still want to stick with orcs, more power to you. And, you know, orcs, they, they might, you know, your list that, that maybe maybe loses a little more than the current net list, that flavor of the month net list that people are winning with, um, you know, maybe your list might, might get lucky, you know. I think in 8th edition especially, a lot of people and a lot of lists have a real shot at winning events and, and doing really well just because of the nature of the edition and the nature of the way it's been designed. So, anyways, back to my opponent. Uh, Necron player, a really, a really, really nice guy. His name was Sam Bennett. So he had a, a Necron list with the the pylon that, I, like I mentioned, some immortals, 
some scarabs, some just uh, I think one or two heavy destroyers, a destroyer lord, a canoptic tomb stalker, a canoptic spider to boost up the scarabs, and a tomb stalker. I said tomb stalker already. That's the forge world centipede thing. Triarch stalker. That's the thing I was thinking of. The it, it shoots at stuff and then you get buff shooting at things. So it, it's it's a, it was a really it was a really low model count Necron army. He also had a a Necron character who I've never heard of. Uh, it his Necron character didn't end up actually doing anything crazy. Uh, to Hulk the blinded. Um, I'm sure he had some really cool thing to do with it, but I feel like to Hulk I think was just buffing the pylon and then didn't do much otherwise. Uh, so I think I, I'm sure I'm I'm and this was also a week ago and it was also the first game of the event. So uh, unfortunately I don't remember a lot about it. Uh, but I'm sure there's some really cool trick, and there's a reason for for my for Sam bringing bringing to Hulk the blinded. But I just I don't remember it. Uh, you know, if you guys bring him, let me know. Kind of curious, is he like a Necron thing, or is he just kind of like a character that my opponent brought, um, and kind of like an off-meta thing, right? So, anyways, so what ended up happening was I ended up going first, and I killed. I got the things I needed to kill. I got first strike. Let me just pull up the the mission results real quick. So so uh, it was um so this was renegade missions and the renegade missions are, are really cool in the sense that there's something called solo blood, which is if you kill your uh, if you kill something and your opponent doesn't kill something, you have solo blood. So that replaces first blood and first strike. Uh, but solo blood, line breaker, slay the warlord. Uh, I picked the go for the go for objectives renegade mission against him uh, because I knew I could outscore him in objectives. Uh, so I ended up winning primary on that. I don't remember what he picked against me. Uh, it didn't matter. I ended up going 19-0. He didn't get anything. And it, it's really funny. Is actually, I, I remember this now. I didn't actually go first. I, I, my opponent went first. And it, it was it was really unfortunate for him. He rolled very poorly, but he didn't actually get a kill a unit first turn. Right? And it, my, the way my army's built, it's very MSU-y. You know, he... He, he didn't kill a unit first turn. I think he could have if he'd really focused like a scout squad down or something, just something very easy to kill. Um, but he, he kind of he kind of uh, shot different things and then at the very end decided to focus, at the end of his shooting phase, decided to focus down a scout squad. And then it just didn't work, right? He killed it down to one scout and then I passed my morale in one. Uh, so that's something when you're keeping in mind when you're doing going through shooting priorities. If you have a, a tertiary like first strike, first blood, solo blood, or you need to kill a unit, you know, m make sure you kill that unit first. You know, unless unless you absolutely desperately need to kill another unit that's more important, you always want to focus on getting points in your turn. Every single every single phase. You look at your you look at your game, you say where can I get points? Okay, if I kill that unit, that's an automatic point. That's an easy point. I'm just going to get a point there no matter what. Don't try not to do arbitrary things that don't get you points. Just make sure every movement is deliberate and gets you points one way or another. So that's that's very important. Uh, so uh, he ended up not getting he ended up uh, not getting a unit kill a unit uh, not killing a unit in the first turn. So I got solo blood on him, which was, which is very easy. And then from then on, it was kind of just a, a fight for uh, the middle of the board, uh, which he ended up losing because I, I ran Gilliman up at him. I tied him up with Grey Knights. I killed Immortals with my Storm Bolters on my Grey Knights. I basically alpha struck all of his infantry, and then his Canoptic Spider he put in a corner. Uh, not Canoptic Spider, his Tomb Stalker, the Forge World thing that can it can like burrow and deep strike essentially. He put that in a corner on an objective to fight some scouts, 
and a Cyclops ended up driving up there, blowing, blowing it up, or bringing it down to one wound and, and making it manageable for me to kill. And then my scouts just kind of took that objective. I think I put an Assassin over there too, just to kind of pr put pressure on that objective because I needed to hold it. And then I, I covered, I put an Assassin in his back line, uh, which ended up making a charge and blocking or uh, blocking the Triarch Stalker so it couldn't shoot. And so denying its shooting phases, and he couldn't kill the Assassin with the Triarch Stalker. I think he brought it down to like one wound, didn't end up killing it. And it just came down to, I, I distracted him in his in his deployment edge. Uh, I distracted him, I brought a Tomb Stalker up to another corner, away from my corner, my deployment corner. And then that left my Whirlwinds unharassed, hiding behind a piece of terrain so his pylon couldn't shoot at it, which gave his pylon no real good shooting targets. So it was kind of just shooting, you know, killing things, kind of killing units. Um, he kept, I think this was a mistake on my opponent's part, he kept shooting the, the D6, you know, heavy crazy shot at small units to guarantee model kills. But I think, because he was falling behind, I think he should have just gone for broke and gone for the 2D6 shots and started just killing models. You know, anything. Grey Knights, Scouts, uh, more Scouts, more Grey Knights, because it's pretty much most of my, what makes up most of my army. I think he should have just focused on killing models, personally. Uh, he, he didn't start doing that until a little too late. And then the game ended with Gilliman and the Grey Knight Strike Squads, the, all the remaining Strike Squads left, charging the pylon, the big pylon, sentry pylon thing, and blowing it up. Uh, so something my opponent could have done better is he, he it deep strikes, and he, he left big deep strike holes for it. And because he got first turn and because I kind of I kind of wanted him to deep strike it in a way, in, in, in a poor position so I could take advantage of it. So I left specific holes where he could get shots on my whirlwinds, but he'd be putting the pylon, you, you know, basically in Gilliman charge range if he did it. So so he, I think he did the right call there, but I think he should have just sacrificed it uh, and, and then played his backfield and, and forced me to come to him after I killed it. Right, so he could have just dropped it down, killed a whirlwind, and maybe even two whirlwinds, because I, I don't think Gilliman just kills the pylon in one round of combat. So he could probably kill two whirlwinds, and, and that removes my my ability to pressure his backfield, because the whirlwinds have 60 inch range and barrage. So they can you know they can kill immortals and warriors and death marks. Oh, he also had a unit of death marks that came down and didn't do much, unfortunately. Uh, so so he could have taken away my ability to pressure his backfield covered his backfield deep strike the pylon so that so that it, it took out something important that it needed to even though it was less points than what he paid for it uh and then pulled gilliman away and then probably could have won i think that's probably a better strategy on my opponent's part um which he obviously didn't do but sam if you're listening to this let me know what you think i i, I love talking to my opponents about the games and unfortunately my opponent and i didn't get a chance to talk about the game afterwards because it was lunch immediately afterwards we were both hungry so moving on to round two, I played Tyler Moose DeVries uh, from from uh, the Nova Top Eight. He he's a phenomenal player. I think he actually made the top four. Tyler Tyler did extremely well. He he ended up taking the whole event, taking second place in the whole event, uh, and I did actually end up beating him just to get that out of the way now. Uh, so Tyler DeVries is a very similar army to mine. He's got some mortar teams. I don't have any mortar teams. He has. Deep striking Elysian infantry squads instead of conscripts. He has Saint Celestine. He has Fenrisian wolves to fill out a brigade. So he has a lot of he has a lot of command points, a ton of command points. Uh, he has an assassin. I think he has two assassins. Uh, no, you think he's one assassin. He has an assassin, and then he has a two cyclopses or four cyclopses, 
and Grey Knight Strike Squads with two Retributor Retribution Squad, the the heavy support Grey Knights, the ones with the heavy weapons. Um, I I can't remember their names, but he he had those Grey Knights with the heavy weapons with four silencers each to put out all the Daka, and a uh, Grey Knight Lord wh who is his Warlord who uh, gives the Grey Knights reroll charge rolls. So so and some scouts. And so, so the name of Tyler's list, the name of the game is, is board control and killing what you need to and winning the game just just through attrition and board control and objective grabbing. Uh, Celestine's kind of like his, uh, Gilliman was like my linebacker in the sense that Gilliman did what I needed him to. Gilliman sometimes would drop back into my line, give some buffs, move forward to kill units, put forward pressure on my opponent. Gil Gilliman was essentially my full safety, my linebacker, my, my flex unit that tried to do everything I needed him to do. Uh, St. Celestine was his. Uh, in Tyler's case, St. Celestine stayed in the back and uh, Tyler played the... Tyler played the keep me out of his deployment zone game, which was very smart because the we were playing renegade missions and there's you know uh, line breaker was a th was a thing and we both knew that line breaker would be very very important because we both knew neither one of us were gonna get slay the warlord because obviously slay the warlord uh, I've got Gilliman he's got Saint Celestine unless something really bad happens and and uh, one of those units you know they they attack each other or uh, you know, he gets a lot of Grey Knights and the Gilliman. It's just it's very hard to kill both of those units, both of those models. So we, we knew we were not the only one of us were going to get Slay the Warlord. Uh, we both also got Solo Blood 2, um, which was... Uh, we both knew we weren't going to get Solo Blood because, you know, we were we had these huge MSU armies with lots of small arms firepower. They're basically designed to kill each other. So we both... I, I knew that I wasn't going to get Solo Blood, and I think he knew too because he didn't really care about about not letting his units die, right? And not putting them in positions to live. So uh, he, I think he tried to angle for solo blood at the end. Uh, and then we both got line breaker and I ended up winning on secondary. Let me just, let me just check here. Yeah, I ended up winning on secondary. Uh, if you look at the results, it says we both won primary and we both won secondary. Essentially what happened was we tied primary or he ended up winning primary uh, because it was, because he picked kill points and he, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I picked kill points, and he didn't, and I actually didn't end up getting it, and he didn't get ending up getting end up his primary. So neither one of us got primary. But the BCP app doesn't let you pick. No one wins primary, so we just both won primary. Essentially, it was the way it had to be placed in the BCP app, uh, which I thought was a little strange, but it's not a big deal. It gave him more points. It gave me a little more points and we were both okay with that outcome. So it came down to me winning secondary off Maelstrom and him not winning secondary. And then I had to fight for line breaker as well. So it, it, was, a, it was a really, really close game. And th it was, it, it came down to Grey Knights charging my backfield uh, with a really good charge. And then Gilliman having to rush over there and, and keep them basically clean up points uh, because he picked the kill four units, kill four, kill four units, and he had a, a flying chance at the very end, a Hail Mary chance to kill. He picked my two Elysian command plasma gun squads and two other units that I think he killed, like scouts or something. Very, They killed down to a man. Um, so he just, he basically needed to make a charge with his, with his Grey Knight Warlord, which he failed, um, which would have killed one unit, and then he needed to... Uh, roll a gate of infinity which I denied or he failed one or the other I think it was a gate through uh, an assassin roll or I denied it I think I denied it on 10 it was a really it was it was 
bad luck on his part. Um, but he he was he essentially needed the roll of gate of infinity to gate and kill the other Elysian command squad, and then he needed to kill the final scout, which he did actually end up doing. So it was actually really close because if he had won primary, uh, I would have lost primary, and then it would have been a tie game instead of a win for me, which was very important. So it ended up being a really really good close game, uh, and. Yeah, Tyler's a great opponent. One thing I will say is, is Tyler, I love you, man. But he, he was making a little bit of mistakes early on that you shouldn't make. Um, you know, he, he forgot a psychic, past psychic powers. He forgot to shoot units. He forgot to move some units. Um, and, and I, I say it like it's a lot. It actually wasn't a lot. It was all like, it was maybe one thing. It was like, oh, I forgot to cast a power with this psyker back here, which didn't end up actually mattering. Um, but every time I play an opponent and they forget things, especially an opponent who who's a high caliber like Tyler, I, I try I do this thing where I give them one take back, right? And I don't expect the same thing. If my opponent lets me take back something, that's awesome. If not, you know, oh well. I usually don't I usually don't ask unless it was something I mentioned ahead of time. Like if I say I'm going to shoot this model, I'm going to shoot this unit with my scouts. Right, and my opponent says, "Oh, okay, I agree." And then if I forget to shoot them, I go to my salt phase. If the salt phase ended, I I don't even bother. I go, oh, "Okay, I screwed up." But if it's like the beginning of the assault phase, I'll ask, "Hey, I said I was going to shoot them, and I know we're in the assault phase, but I haven't rolled a charge resistance, or I just barely rolled this one charge first. Um, can I go ahead and shoot them right now, real quick?" Uh, and I've never had anyone tell me no at all uh, because I feel like it's a really reasonable thing as long as you're communicating to your opponent you know, listen, I, I want to shoot this. And especially if you have to move fast with times and rounds, people are usually really respectful if you communicate to them what your intent is, which is the most important thing. Communication with your opponent is key. That's that's what builds the social contract. And that's our, honestly the main gripes people have with each other online between competitive players and non-competitive players. Uh, I feel like it's, it's less of a, oh, this person is this evil whack when it all costs tournament player and more of just like a I don't really understand this person because uh, you know we just don't communicate with each other regularly and efficiently you know and so anyways that's just my personal opinion so I ended up beating Tyler there uh, I, I think I got really I got lucky uh, I played the best I possibly could I think I played actually extremely well against Tyler I don't remember making any huge mistakes uh, I probably could I probably could have denied his Grey Knights from making a charge into my backfield because that's that's what gave him the chance to win the game. I, I think I could have done a better job bubble wrapping there and I was a little I was a little uh risky with my Legion command plasma squads because I dropped one in a corner to shoot at his Grey Knights. Um, but if I had just dropped them in the other corner, I wouldn't have been able to kill Grey Knights, but they would for sure have not been able to be killed by Tyler, and I would have for sure won the game because they because he wouldn't have been able to win primary. Um, so that's that's just something I, I was a little cagey. I was a little uh, cagey with them, but it ended up working out for me. Uh, moving on to my round three, I played Stephen McElroy, and uh, Stephen had a he had a he had one of the enemy lists. One of, one of those those evil boogeyman lists that, that people see and when and people think of when they think of competitive tournament net lists. Uh, so he had, uh, let me just count them real quick. He had nine Malefic Lords. I think he might have actually had 11 Malefic Lords, but I might be wrong. No, he had uh, two Supreme Detachments with three Malefic Lords each for a total of six Malefic Lords, and then a Brigade with three more Malefic Lords filling out his HQ choices, uh, six units of Horrors, three Renegade Command Squads, uh, Chaos Predator, three giant Chaos Spawn, two Heldrakes, and four Foetid Blight Drones, which are the Death Guard, really hard to kill, double Plague Flamer, Plague Spitter Flamer things. 
Um, they have the fly keyword. They're really nasty. Uh, anyway, Steven, Steven was a great guy. I had a really fun time playing him. This is actually a really fun game. And this is where in the tournament, this is where I felt like I made my first real mistake that could have cost me the game. Uh, so this was Renegade Missions once again. And I picked, for my primary, I picked kill four, assassinate four units. And he also picked assassinate four units as well. So we both picked that on each other. He picked uh, two scout squads and and uh, my I think my command squads again. He picked very easily killable units. He did pick my command squads. Uh, so he picked four scouts, two scout squads, and two command squads. And then I picked. I, he, I knew he would expect me to pick his uh, his his renegade command squads because they're so they're such small units, and I've got my whirlwinds. And so what I did was I deployed them farther away than I normally did to get him to put them in his opposite corner away from everything because they have las cannons and I know I knew that if I could keep them out of las cannon range and push one side push the opposite side of them hard uh, I could essentially win with Gilliman and win win with win with uh, Gilliman Gilliman wouldn't have to worry about eating las cannon shots uh, he could maybe take blight drones for days I would just I just needed to get rid of malefic lords essentially is what I needed to do so uh, that's that's what ended up happening. Um, so I uh, he did place them in the corner like I expected. So I picked a giant chaos spawn, a specific a specific one that if my opponent had just because he had three right, so they were all one had like a tongue and that's the one I picked. Um, but they were all marked kind of differently. So if my opponent had just picked the tongue one and put it on the opposite side of the board, I definitely would have lost because there was no way I could have been able to reach it. Um, but he luckily for me he placed the one I marked hidden the hidden one that I marked on my side where all of my pressure was and so that was lucky for me so I picked that I picked the Heldrake which is idiotic at all because the, the minute I revealed to my opponent what my four assassinates were he looked at it he said I thought you were going to pick the renegade command squads and then move and advance them up and then move to the Heldrake the green Heldrake that I targeted and replace them in that corner out of range of everything and I was like well I should have picked literally anything else in your army um i just i didn't think i was thinking that that the both heldrakes would just be in my face and so they would be very easy to kill and yeah kill them and dead end up charging and killing the white heldrake so so that was kind of cool but th that was just that was my thought process was oh the heldrakes they're going to be in my face um so i can just kill the green heldrake and if he runs away with it i might be i'll, I'll definitely be able to you know get to it which was not the case at all i i completely underestimated both my opponent and my opponent's army's ability to survive, uh, which is what ended up happening. Gilliman ended up running, trying to chase the Heldrake. He never got to him, never got even close. Uh, and Gilliman ended up dying to Blight Drones and Malefic Lords. Um, he got kind of held up in, in the middle of the board trying to get to that final Heldrake, which never happened. Uh, but I was okay with that because, because I knew that neither one of us were... Uh, going to get primary anyways because I had a scout squad hidden in cover away from everything. The Heldrake wouldn't have been able to see it or shoot at it. This the scout Drake was, the scout squad was not going to die. And if he did try and kill the scout squad, the only the only model that could possibly kill the scout squad was the green Heldrake, uh, which he would have to drive into my line where where Grey Knights and and my Tech Marine and all my shooting could potentially shoot it and kill it. Right, and that's only at a chance at killing the scout squad, which my opponent didn't want to take, obviously. So the game ended up coming down to secondary. We were both scoring really well on our secondary. I, I, 
I basically shoved the Grey Knights into Brimstone Horrors, which is what they deal with best. And the reason why I did that was Grey Knights are really good forward operating denial psychic power, psychic power denial units, right? So he had nine Malefic Lords. He had kept them all in the middle. So what I did was I pushed one side with my Grey Knights. I killed the spawn that I needed to kill. And I charged them into Brimstone so they wouldn't get shot. They wouldn't be able to get shot at. And then I just surrounded individual Brimstone models and kind of just played with his backfield and left the Grey Knights there so that I had a chance at denying powers. And then I moved the Assassin up, one of my Assassins up, and then I moved the other Assassin following it. And I kept my Cyclopses behind the building so that they're threatening the middle of the board in case his Brimstones decided, or not his Brimstones, in case his Malefic Lords decided to move down because Cyclopses are really good at killing characters. So what ended up happening was I ended up winning Maelstrom off of going for three. I knew I would be able to get one Cyclops in range of all his Malefic Lords, uh, either because my opponent didn't see it or or um, I think he expected it, but he didn't expect it to do so much damage. So what ended up happening was the Cyclops drove around the building 10 inches, uh, parked right next to my opponent's Malefic Lord line. There were six Malefic Lords in there and blew up, killed five of them immediately 2d6 last cannon shots killed five malefic lords and that also picked me up warlord too i don't think i think the cyclops didn't pick me up warlord but but i, I just killed the warlord naturally with gray knights or something but I, I killed his warlord and i also killed five malefic lords and that got me i i went for three points and that got me those three kills and those three points easily and it's actually in renegade it's you have to kill four units which is what was risky about it was because the only real killable units in his army at that point were the malefic lords because uh, i wasn't gonna be able to kill blight drones i wasn't gonna be able to kill the command squads because they were still out of range i wasn't gonna be able to kill the hell drake i had already killed everything else i needed to um i couldn't kill the predator i couldn't really kill the brimstones so i needed to kill the malefic lords which are characters which are really hard to kill for shooting armies so it came down to that single moment uh, with the Cyclops essentially getting me that those three points by itself, uh, which which Cyclopses are amazing, by the way. They're, for those of you who don't know, they're little 40-point, little baby tank things that you drive around and they blow up. And when they blow up, they do 2d6, strength 9, AP2, d3 damage shots to everything within d6 inches. And for some reason, when my Cyclopses, you know, when they blow up, in key positions, they just they bring their A game. They're like, okay, Pablo, you you want to see box cars? You want to see 10 and 11 hits on everything within six inches? I got you, man. You're you're my boy. So I, I think it's because I painted those models myself. I built and assembled them, and they're they're legitimate Forge World, you know. And they're they're I I just I love those models so much. They're you know they're my models. Um, so I think they just they reciprocate that feeling and they love me back. Uh, and they're so adorable too. So, anyways. So that ended up happening. That ended up winning me the game. I won Maelstrom off. I think I won off by one or two points. It was really close. Uh, neither one of us got primary. And we both got Slay the Warlord. And we both got Linebreaker. So it, it came down to essentially, could I score more Maelstrom mission points than my opponent? Which I did do. And that was pretty much the big reason why. Moving on to round four. This was my first loss of the day. So at this point, I'd gone 3-0. I felt really happy. This was the end of day one. The Iron Halo made me or made everyone play four rounds day one and two rounds day two to make a bigger uh, prize support, you know, uh, ceremony at the end and to give the TOs and the judges more time to break down, which I thought was pretty intelligent. I didn't mind the four rounds in one day. I know for a lot of people it's too much, uh, but I personally didn't mind. And I think a lot of other people in general didn't mind as well, especially considering the venue was so nice. Right, if you were at a really bad, a really hot hotel lobby, you know, with no food nearby, 
you know, and it was uncomfortable or maybe like in a barn or, or some hot place, you know, some uncomfortable, poor venue. I could see four rounds being rough, but, you know, spending four rounds where you could at the end of your game go and, and play in a VR arcade game and rip people's heads off because you're this barbarian in virtual reality it's pretty cool it kind of takes some of the the sting away from playing 40k for 10 hours or or, yeah like 10 hours anyways so i played a kenneth carnes this is my first loss of the day and this is my first loss of the tournament Uh, not my not my last loss sadly and this was um this was a, a very interesting game so i i show up to my opponent and i see i i'm looking at his list on best coast pairings and there's this really funny exchange I have with um, with two guys, Matt Root and Ben Sherwin. Ben Sherwin, who's the head judge at the Renegade Open, and Matt Root, who the guy who won the ITC, ITC last year, the entire thing. So we're talking, and I'm looking at the list, and I'm like, you know what? I think I can beat this list. You know, it, it looks really easy. And Matt goes, careful, Pablo. You might, you know, whenever you say that, you know, that's the game you always lose. And Ben Sherwin looks at my list at PCP, the list I'm playing. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to crush this guy. And I was like, okay, I started feeling pretty good at then. And then Matt Root, you know, laughed. Matt Root looks at the list and says, oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to destroy him. You know, it, it's not even close. And so the guys tell you about his list. He had on BCP it, it written uh, in, in on a piece of paper, he had uh, uh, Yarrick, a Tempestus Scion uh, command dude, two, com- tempe- two, com- two Tempestus command squad units, the troop choices, a uh, unit of 37 conscripts, an Eversor assassin, two heavy weapon mortar teams, a uh, unit of two wyverns, four manticores, a company commander, a master of ordnance, and two Ar- two ba- Armageddon basilisks, which are forge-world basilisks, um, in one unit. And that was the list. That that was it. So so I I, I saw I thought like oh it's a gunline list. You know the four manticores obviously will destroy anything they they shoot at easily, right? Um, so w- we end up we end up showing up and I see uh, on my opponent's display board two Avenger strike fighters and they're not listed on his list and I was like oh uh, that's that's interesting because um, I'd seen this guy before with this list uh, in the tournament playing so I knew that he used the Avenger strike fighters but I didn't see him on the list so you know obviously I asked him like hey what's going on here uh, and then there was there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a disagreement we we basically he told me that they were in his list and he just forgot to add them and that his list was legal and so I said, well, okay, but let's just make sure. So we counted out points. And, and you know, we did this like five times, right? And, and I don't know about you guys, but I've got fat, fat, twitchy fingers, right? So when I'm calculating out the math, I mess up and I write, I put it down at 2,100 points instead of 2,000 points. But obviously, instead of telling him like, oh, you're a cheater, you lose, I obviously offered to recount the points list because I don't want to win that way. That's just not, that's just not a good way to win. That's not an honorable way to win. I, I like earning my wins. So, so we recounted it, and it turned out he turned out to be at 1999, not 2099. Uh, so there was a little bit of a, a disagreement. You know, he, he accused me of trying to disqualify him, which obviously was not trying to do. Um, I was just trying to explain to him that it's important to to have your lists, you know, ready, right? And, and if if people expect three color minimums or tabletop standard at tournaments, they should also expect. You know, it's also fair to expect players to have typed out legible complete lists with with all the rules you know you know everything that you need to do to prepare for a tournament all your materials you know the you know the basic rules of your army all of that stuff right i feel like both of those things are fair and reasonable things to expect of your opponent 
right? So when one side of the pie, the expectation pie, is a little is a little short, you know, I'm going to call out my opponent on it, especially this one because I have a competitive 40k podcast. So this is something I'm very passionate about. Uh, so I I kind of um. I kind of like explained it to him and he did understand because because he turned out his next game his opponent threw like a real fit and there was there was a lot of arguing uh, a lot of you know name calling and, and it just wasn't a good it wasn't a good view for anyone who was a spectator who would go to the tournament right that's not something TOs want at their events and so after that you know the Kenneth told, came up to me and said hey I understand completely uh, what yeah, I understand that that it's important for list building. I'm I'm glad he understood, and he he was ultimately he was a really good guy. He was a really fun guy to play, so I had no problems with that. There was just some there that was one thing, and then there's one other thing which I'm going to get into. Uh, but back to the matchup. So this is no longer Renegade missions. This is ITC missions, and this is Relic. And I'm looking at our board on Relic, and I know I'm not going to beat him on secondary because he just has to roll kill two units and then go for three once. And I can't catch up to him because I can't kill three units. I can barely kill one unit against his army because he has got that conscript squad. And I know if I drop down and kill all the conscripts, I know he's just going to. Uh, first off, I can't drop down and kill all the conscripts with my gray knights. Um, it just doesn't happen. He, he had too many far in the back, so I knew I was going to leave at least one alive. And then he could just burn two command points and let it live, and then boom, I wasn't going to be able to kill it. So. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to push his line. I didn't think I had the, the manpower to be able to do it. And he also got first turn, which is very, very critical. Uh, so it it came down to I, I knew he was going to win secondary. I knew he was going to win Maelstrom. And so I decided to play for Relic. Uh, so looking at the board, there's this big ruin in the center of the board that that you can't really see into on the bottom floor. And it's big enough to fit you know, 40 models in it, right? And that's where the relic was. So I deep struck in there with my scions. I, I infiltrated in there with all my scouts. I got my assassins in there. I got my premier psyker in there. I got my tech marine in there from my, my thunderfire. Actually, no, my tech marine did something else. But basically, I loaded up the, the center with characters and really hard to kill units and, and unimportant infantry units, basically assuring me relic. He could have spent all of his shooting at that relic, but I, I did a really good job of of uh, presenting him juicy options so that he never actually spent a full round of shooting at the dudes inside of the building. And, and also the, the swing tertiary vote, or the tertiary point was going to be table quarters. So essentially my thought process was this. It was first strike, table quarters, slay the warlord. Uh, he wins primary, he wins secondary. I win primary off relic because I need to. Uh, I don't like don't let him kill Gilliman. I don't ma I make sure Gilliman's not the closest model to the Basilisks and the Manicores. All I need to do is get first strike. If I get first strike, I can control how I get table quarters because he doesn't have he didn't have the the mobility or, or the presence. He especially didn't have the mobility because he stayed in one spot the whole game, which is what I knew he would do and what I wanted him to do because that's the way he deployed. Uh, so my thought process was I can control the center of the board and with table quarters, I can control what units go in which table quarter easily with low minimum, with minimal movement and then kill everything else in his army, but the, but the mana cores. And then from there I, I win because I win table quarters. We both have first strike. I've got primary. He's got secondary. Neither one of us have warlord because I wasn't going to kill Yark. There's no way. Uh, so that was my game plan, right? I was like, okay, I'm going to get first strike. Here's the problem with that. 
I should have dropped down. I didn't drop down the Plasma Scions turn one because I thought I, I thought I would need them later on for when his Plasma Scions, his Scions drop down because I, I thought I would need to kill them, um, which turned out to be not the case at all. I just literally just needed them to come down not in table quarters, not in, not win him table quarters, which I think I could have I could have done. Uh, so I should have dropped one unit down and blown up a mortar team for first strike just immediately. And this goes back to that target prioritization I was talking about earlier in round one, in game one. I didn't do that. And that's ultimately what cost me the game because I knew I had the amount of firepower exactly needed to kill one single Avenger strike fighter. And he he went first and, and killed both my whirlwinds, my thunderfire cannon, and my quad launcher easily. Easily, without question. He just, just blew them out, blew them up. No big deal. Just like one sneeze and they're gone, right? So I knew I couldn't rely on those to kill conscripts. So I didn't even bother. I knew I, I just, I thought if I didn't kill his conscripts, it would, it would incentivize my opponent to stay in his corner of the board, which would give me a better chance at winning table quarters later on. So I didn't even bother kill, shooting the conscripts at all. Uh, I put all my shots into the Avenger Strike Fighter. My Primera Psyker ended up apparelsing on a Snake Eyes with a reroll. And my Grey Knights put 10 wounds or 10 hits on my final Grey Knight Strike Squad that I needed to kind of put. Because I brought the Avenger Strike Fighter down to one wound with everything. So it just goes to show that every, every little unfortunate thing that happened to me in that shooting phase, that psychic phase... Um, if one thing had gone differently, I would have won the game off first strike because I did actually end up winning table quarters. Um, so, so essentially bad luck happened. I didn't kill the Avenger Strike Fighter like I was supposed to, and I didn't have anything left to shoot it because I consciously made the decision to not put other stuff on the board to kill it. And I marked, I said, I'm going to kill that Avenger Strike Fighter, which didn't end up happening. Um, so that was a big mistake on my part. And then as you can expect, he shot and killed everything. At that point, because I didn't get first strike, I knew I needed to be really aggressive with Gilliman uh, because I, I needed to I needed to put forward pressure on him at that point. So Gilliman ran up the board at him. Uh, the Cyclops just tried hiding. He shot and killed those uh, as expected. You're supposed to. And, and then from there, I, I lost. I lost Gilliman. He killed. He got Warlord. Uh, he, my Tech Marine was a baller against his Eversor Assassin and held it back the whole game from really charging the middle of the board, um, which I think it would have died if it had charged in there anyways. But I couldn't really let it risk killing any more units because they were all so important. So what what ended up happening was uh, Gilliman died. He, he didn't. He failed his reroll, which I don't think mattered because uh, even if Gilliman had lived, I still I, I would have lost off of first strike uh, because oh I guess I would have tied actually if Gilman had lived so I could have played for the tie then that's the other thing too is is I could have just held Gilman in my backfield protecting everything and then just tied the game right and not give him warlord got table quarters and then just tied the game but that would have been really unfun I, I feel right because I could have just at, at any point I thought about this and I considered doing it once I thought about just ending my turn one because my opponent was playing uh, really slow, it, which is, you know, both it, both the combination of my opponent um, and also the list he brought. Uh, but there was one particular thing my opponent was doing uh, that was that was at the time really annoying me. Um, and I'm not calling him out. Ken was a really nice guy. And uh, if there's little tiny things we can all do to speed up our game. But one thing he was doing was when he would shoot a large amount of shots with like a basilisk, right? With with 2d6 pick the highest or with a mandicore when it's just 2d6 shots. He would roll the 2d6 dice. He would pick out all of the individual dice from his container that he had them in. Roll them all so he would count them out. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 
count them all out, roll them, and then put them back into his container. Right, and that was that was a little frustrating for me because I had already started to lose. Um, and I, di I definitely didn't snap at him, but I, I definitely pushed him a little bit when we hit an hour and we were only through two turns. Uh, we were on turn three, so I asked him to speed up. I asked him, you know, would you mind leaving your dice out of the container? Uh, he did snap at me. Um, I don't remember how I how I presented it to him. I might have been snappy because I was, of course, like I said, I was, uh, I was irritated that I was going to lose this game, right? And I'm I'm a very competitive guy, so it might have come off as snappy. I don't think so because I tried very hard not for it to not to be, but I also don't know. Um, but so there was there was that little bit of a little hint of salt there, um, but. You when you're when you're trying to hurry up and when you're trying to make sure that you and your opponent are playing through uh, an entire game uh, and want to play through an entire game, you really have to stand your ground in those situations, right? So a lot of the times, players I talk to uh, when they talk about their games afterwards, they take a stance of of uh, being non-assertive, right? Or, or they they don't like they don't want to be controversial. Uh, they they don't want to be uh, what what what's the word? Um, confrontational uh, they, they don't want to con confront their opponent with with anything they want to be non-confrontational and there are a lot of players like that the, you know it's it it it's it's a it's an interesting trait that i think a lot of you know nerdier players have um but but you 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 want to you want to make sure you stand your ground which is basically my point is uh if you if you know you're being wronged and if you know that your opponent is slowing down, uh, you know, ask, you know, be persistent. Call a judge if you need to. You know, ask your opponent to speed up. Offer to help your opponent with their roles. And Kenneth, to his credit, he he did he did step up. He did speed up like crazy. I was actually very proud of him um, because I didn't think he would. <laughs> Honestly, I just just judging from the way everything was going, I, I he didn't really need to. Right, he'd already won the game. Right, he you know he didn't need the speed up. I just wanted to make sure to get through five turns. We both knew that I was going to lose the game. Actually, he might not have known I was going to lose the game, but I definitely knew I was going to lose the game. So from my point of view, uh, I he didn't really need see he really didn't need to. Um, but I wanted to finish the game because I I know it's a dice game. I might get extremely lucky, right? So I just asked him to pick it up a little, pick it a little bit, which he did do. He he picked it up, like I said. He's moving around a lot faster. He, he was rolling dice quicker. Uh, I was letting him just delete models, just remove models, because I, I knew they would be dead, because he had so much shooting. Uh, and we ended up finishing, which was great. We ended up finishing through five turns. I did end up losing, but it, it was an experience I enjoyed because I, it it I, I it settled it settled an argument in my head of uh, of doing things to prevent slow play and what what can possibly be done for them. I thought that, you know, maybe slow play isn't preventable, isn't policeable from players. Maybe you just have to bring clocks. Um, but in this instance, I feel like I played an opponent uh, who played faster and I did things, steps necessary to make the game go faster and it worked well and we finished the game, which, which was a victory to me. So just bear that in mind, guys. I, I think if you're, if you're one of those guys who, who thinks slow playing is a systematic thing, that that you can't be fixed by players. I, I disagree with you. I think everyone has their power, the power to prevent slow play their own way, uh, both in their opponent and themselves. So, anyways, moving on to my next game. Uh, I actually I was, I was a little down this game. Uh, so we went we went into uh, day two after this because that was the end of day one. 
Uh, so I was really down that night because I knew I was I was just one mistake away from going 4-0, which is something that was very important to me. I I was the third best Imperium player in the world at the time. Now I am the second best Imperium player in the world. Uh, Aaron Along is the only one ahead of me. I think I'm like 60 points down from him. So I'm going to try and shoot for that. I'm going to try and shoot for the best Imperium player. So I have something to gain. I'm not su I think I'm ranked in the top 100 in the ITC, which is which is cool, but it's not to me it's not a super big deal. I'd rather be like in the top 10. That'd be crazy. Um, but top 100 isn't bad, and I am the second best Imperium player. Uh, so I was a little disappointed. Uh, going into round five, I saw my opponent, and this is let this be a lesson to you guys in judging your uh, judging your opponent before before you play. So I got to my opponent, uh, I looked at my opponent's list, and I saw Primaris Space Marines. Not just not just any Primaris Space Marines, not not a, an optimized Primaris Space Marines. Uh, my opponent told me he literally just picked all one of every single Primaris Space Marine unit that wasn't the, the, the tank, the grav tank, and then just ran every single loadout with them. That was it. He, he just, he ran... Uh, one of each primary space marine unit with one of each loadout reavers. He had two units of reavers, three units of intercessors, uh, two units of hellblasters, two uh, interceptors, inceptors, the the deep striking ones, uh, reboot gilliman. So they were all ultramarines. They were all painted really nice, by the way. They're all painted an ultramarine scheme, which I'm obviously a big fan of. Uh, he had two units of aggressors. That was it. It was a primary space marine army. It it wasn't it wasn't particularly you know, thoughtful or or tricky or, or anything or optimized. It was just he just literally took these models, right, and then used them. So I, I felt obviously very confident. I, I didn't I didn't know I was going to win the game. I didn't expect to win the game because obviously, you know, you, you, uh, judging from my last game, I wasn't going to make that mistake again. So I, I really didn't I really didn't under want to underestimate my opponent. Um, but I knew in my head, I knew that he had an inferior army to mine. It just it didn't have the models to be able to kill everything, especially in an ITC mission where uh, missions are very important. Objective grabbing is very important. So I was very confident. Uh, so we show up and he he outplays me. Uh, he knows all my rules. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. If you guys ever get a chance to play John Bunn, if you don't know who John Bunn is, Jonathan Bunn it was the head TO at the old Feast of Blades tournaments back in 5th edition. If you, don't, if you are, are an old-timer and you played back then, you know that Feast of Blades was, at the time, the largest 40K community-run event ever. Right, John John Bunn was one of those guys. He was not only the head judge, he's not only a really intelligent guy, but he would show up to GW Art Boys and like, win entire armies. Right, he's just—he's a phenomenal player. He's a great guy, really relaxed, r really intelligent, just a real pleasure to play. Uh, and John—he didn't—he didn't end up losing to me. Um, so, so he basically he surprised—he's—he surprised me with primary space marines. First off, primary space marines in cover are impossible to kill. Don't try it. Like it's—I'm sure there's some people who are thinking like, oh, well, my army can kill them easily. Like I'm sure I'm sure you, your army can kill them easily, but that's not the point. That you can't kill them efficiently at all. Uh, especially intercessors. It was just, it's. I knew that that marine equivalent bodies in ruins are really hard to kill because they go up to that coveted two up save, um, and they also they, they benefit from the line of sight blocking, which is where you can hide objectives, which is where he put his home objective. So it was it was a big deal. Um, I couldn't kill them, and he just he unloaded on me with with a primary space marine gun line. He surrounded me down. He attritioned me. Uh, he basically we were playing the 
heavy big guns never tire. And it, essentially it came down to uh we he he was going to win secondary uh because I I made some crucial mistakes and I couldn't quite win secondary. So he was definitely going to win secondary. And I I needed to fight for primary. Um, pretty much it. So I was going to get ground control. Uh, I, I definitely got line breaker and ground control for my tertiaries. So I knew I needed to beat him on at least one objective. Uh, and he knew he needed to beat me on both objectives. So he didn't focus on ground control. He didn't focus on getting line breaker or slay the warlord. Because all he needed to do was was uh, was win primary, essentially. Because he would already won secondary past a certain point in the game. So... He's killed my heavy supports, and I have a lot of heavy supports on my list. I have three Cyclopses, my, both my artillery units split into four heavy supports. So my Thunderfire Cannon and my Tech Marine and my crew and my Rapier Quad Launcher on top of the two Whirlwinds. So I've got nine heavy support options. At the end of the game, he needs to kill one and hold one of the objectives. So he makes a, a, a good like a 7-inch charge uh, on... A Cyclops holding an objective with obsec because the Cyclops because heavy support options are like obsec. So you charge them with aggressors, which are elite choices, not heavy supports. And I didn't know they had power fists. Uh, so if I'd known they had power fists, because I'm not familiar with primary space marines, I would have put Gilliman in front and just risked him taking a lot of shots and and getting back up. Because my Gilliman had one wound left, but he didn't get knocked down. Uh, so I just needed Gilliman to survive a round of shooting and get back up, which is very easy to do. He didn't have anything that could bring Gilliman to his three-up invuln. Um, and if he charged with the primaris, the aggressors, uh, Gilliman could just kill them, right? Gilliman could just take three-up invulns. Uh, we were both out of command points. I, I was more confident in Gilliman's ability to take the aggressors than the Cyclops, which which can't do anything to them, right? Just has to survive. So he ended up making the charge on the Cyclops outside of Gilliman's heroic intervention range, which is which is very intelligent. A and... He put two Power Fist wounds, went through on my Cyclops, and he rolled three damage instead of four. He rolled a one and a four, right, for three damage. And Cyclopses have four wounds. And that's what ended up losing him the game. If he had killed that Cyclops, he would have gotten that objective because he would have had more models holding the objective with the three-man aggressor squad. Uh, he would have killed the final heavy support choice he needed to clinch the primary, and he would have won. He would have gotten primary and secondary, and I would have lost holding all three tertiaries. Um, so that was really close. The, there was a really funny moment when both our Gilliman's, when his Gilliman charged my Gilliman and whiffed, and then my Gilliman knocked his Gilliman down. And then there was a point when both our Gilliman's were just standing there, tired after a combat with each other. And then his Gilliman took off in one direction, and my Gilliman took off in another direction. Our Gilliman's were like, no, we're we're done. We're done with this. Um, I did end up killing his Gilliman with shooting, which is very critical. Uh, because it put pressure off his line because his Gilman was going to run rampant in my line unless my Gilman went in there and stopped him, which I wasn't 100% confident in its ability to do because Gilman can just sometimes just roll three up invulns like a boss, especially if you don't roll any sixes for mortal wounds. So, so it, was a, it was a very close game. It was very fun. Uh, John Bunn, you're a great opponent. I doubt you're listening to this podcast, but if you are, you're a really fun opponent to play and I hope we get a chance to play. And I hope you hope you play an army that that's like a Xenos army, like something that's your actual bread and butter that you that you love playing, something that that truly, you know, shows off your skill as a player, right? Um, because the primary Space Marine list, although it does catch people off guard, it is a very limit. It was a very limited list, 
and I would have lost if he was playing a more optimized, better list, essentially. And he knew that too. I, I you know, he he wasn't going in there trying to prove a point, trying to make a point that Primary Space Marines were were the best in secret hot tech that no one is talking about. Like he wasn't doing that. He was just showing up at an event to have a good time. Uh, but he was catching a lot of people off guard, and at the, at that point in the tournament, he had only lost one game as well. He's three and one. Uh, he, he did end up finishing, I think, three and three. Uh, but he, you know, he did a great job. Or I think he finished four and two, four and two, or three and three. Uh, either either way, uh, kudos to John for playing such a, a interesting, not uh, off meta list. And then my last game of the day was against my worst matchup, like I mentioned, uh, Sisters of Battle Repressor Spam. Uh, against Ken Kenneth Eubanks, a really great guy. He's a loyal customer, a loyal frontline gaming customer. Ken, if you're listening to this, you're the man. Uh, there was there was definitely this game had a little bit of everything. Uh, there was there was a lot of good lucks, a lot of swings. We both felt like we could have won. It was very close. It came down to the wire, and at, at one point it came down to a laser. You know, finish like the whole game came down to uh, could. Gilman make a charge and he did by like a laser pointer hair it was it was close it was crazy so so let's go ahead and get into this uh, he was playing sisters like I said with uh, repressors dominion lots of dominion squads I think it's six dominion squads uh, we were playing the scouring uh, let me just triple check that real quick um, I actually don't remember what mission we were playing I think we were playing Emperor's Will. I remember now because I needed to hold my home objective to win. So we're playing Emperor's Will, and it 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 was really close. Uh, essentially, what happened was he, I went first. Uh, I killed the the las because he had some heavy weapon las cannon slash mortar teams. I I killed those immediately and uh, went for three on those first turn, like, I just went straight for the aggressive, I'm gonna try and win secondary play, I did end up getting it, but he got, he went for three later on in the game to catch up and eventually win secondary, uh, which was very crucial, and essentially it came down to, I knew it would come down to, can I hold my primary, uh, which I think I could do if the game didn't go on to turn six or turn seven, because if the game had gone on to turn seven, I knew I wasn't going to be able to outlast his army because he had so much, so much T7 that I couldn't deal with. So he could always protect his sisters no matter what. And a lot of my shooting would just be dead shooting after I killed the mortar teams. Uh, so there was a point when, when he didn't advance scout move up forward because he was afraid of uh, Gilliman charging in there and alpha striking. Uh, so on my turn one, I just killed some stuff, got my three points, took an early Maelstrom lead, which which I held for a lot uh, for most of the game, and I that was it. His turn one, he moved Celestine up to my line, uh, charged and killed a Cyclops for Maelstrom points, and this was very important because my opponent Ken knew that going for Maelstrom points was would be critical to keep him in the game. So he didn't go for three. I don't think he rolled for three, but he knew he needed to score as many points as he can. And that was actually the nature of this game was was me trying to crush him and break his back on Maelstrom and deny him Maelstrom points and him fighting for every single last Maelstrom point he could. And and he ended up winning because of it. So it was really, really, really close. So uh, Celestine flew right down the middle of the board. Charged Cyclops, killed it. Uh, Gilliman went in there, killed, knocked Celestine down immediately. No, I think I rolled like five sixes. So I did a, a billion mortal wounds. Killed her and her two Gemini Superior. Uh, she deep strikes back. Uh, he actually surprised me here. He instead of deep striking her away from everything and putting her in safety, he put her right back in my line to charge a scout squad so that he could kill the scout squad and get more maelstrom points, which was a brilliant move on Ken's part. Uh, it was very risky, 
so what ended up happening was was uh we knew Gilman would either have to go around the building for uh like an eleven inch or a ten inch charge, or there was one Gemini superior who was right on the wall on the opposite side of the ruin, and if Gilman went that way, it was only a six inch charge. But if you've ever played with GW ruins, they have these lamp posts sticking out from the walls, and Gilman's base can barely fit inside them, but only partially. Right? So we didn't know if it was a six inch charge or like a fourteen inch charge. Uh so we needed to I needed to, uh, I made the charge. I didn't make the huge charge, but I made the charge. And then we needed to see if I was within one inch of that Gemini Superior. So we called the judge over. It was this big thing. Uh, the judge had to use laser pointers and measurement. And obviously I thought I was in and obviously Ken thought I was out. Uh, it was this big charge on Celestine because I needed the killer. Uh, because by killing her, not only I would, would I get Warlord, relieve all of that back pressure. Because she was the only thing pressuring my backfield. Um, but I would also I would also have denied him a line breaker maelstrom point as well. So it was it was like a triple whammy. Like I needed I needed to kill Celestine. So what ended up happening was he made I did make the charge through uh, Richard Berry, the head judge. Careful, careful, careful manipulation. We both had to step away from the table. It was this big thing, um, and I did end up winning the charge by like a hair. Right, so I got the charge. I didn't kill Celestine, which was a huge bummer. It was actually I killed Celestine. I killed one sister, and then the other sister proceeded to make like four four up invuln saves, which I didn't even know they had four up invuln saves. Um, but they do. So yeah, you know, so he, he so his squad ended up living, uh, which which was very unfortunate for me. Uh, and then what ended up happening next was because he removed the, the back Gemini Superior and Celestine, he he uh thought he got himself Linebreaker. But we didn't know, so we had to once again call the judge back and measure to see if he had line breaker with that one Gemini Superior, uh, because it was the pointy hammer and anvil deployment, not the true hammer and anvil deployment. So that was that was another big thing. And we called the judge back. The judge had to had to mark where this Gemini was, remove the terrain, measure uh, out deployment edges, all that stuff. And it turned out he was he lost himself line breaker, which was a point. Um, Ken, to his credit, handled it about as well as as you could expect someone to handle it. Um, he, he he did a really great job at the end of of uh, talking to me afterwards, and we we're both really cool. Ken's a really great guy, um, so it was it was really close, and so so there was definitely some heat. There was definitely a an intense game, and so I ended up denying him line breaker. So I was like, okay, I'm cool, I'm confident, I think I've got this. And then the repressors came, and my big mistake was I deployed in his backfield away from everything else to put pressure on his emperor's will objective when in reality i should have been protecting my own emperor's will objective and i should have chased celestine around with more models now i to be to my credit i thought celestine was dead i to be fair when i deep struck all my stuff i thought celestine is definitely going to die um because i i thought that six inch charge would be very easy before the big the big measurement and before we realized that it wasn't going to be it wasn't so clear-cut so I deployed everything in his line. In retrospect, I should have just deployed an assassin in his line, which is going to get essentially ignored in his corner. Uh, and then that would get me my linebreaker points and my linebreaker. And if, if he did angle to kill the assassin, I would just maybe put another assassin in his line. So I would definitely assure me linebreaker of some sort. Um, so I put stuff in his line to distract him. Uh, but in reality, because he deployed so conservatively, a lot of his regress repressors were out of position to put hits on and, and put pressure on me, forward pressure on me. So if I had actually deployed everything in the back and and then brought Gilman back, I could have chased 
a Celestine around because what ended up happening was was Gilliman spent the next three turns chasing Celestine in my backfield like do 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 like you know the ins insert carnival music clown music here right Gilliman uh, failed like a nine inch charge failed an eight inch charge uh, you know failed failed like a twelve inch charge right so uh, Celestine just because uh, the Gemini Superior you can active faith Celestine back because she's a unit. So they have an active faith where you bring a model back to a unit. Uh, so he active faithed her back. And then she brings back the other Gemini with her healing tears. So it was, it was as if Gilman did nothing. And then Gilman essentially couldn't kill her, right? So she moved away from him. He moved around the building to go chase her. Uh, she killed something, charged something and killed something, got him another point, and she won him the game. She she did exactly what she was supposed to do. She was a, a backfield harassment unit uh, that I should have dealt with more, right? So instead of deep striking my Grey Knights and my Plasma Scions and my Assassins all in his backfield, I should have deep, deep struck them all in my backfield. For sure killed Celestine with Bolter Fire because that's, that's very easy to do especially because she only had one wound left because when she gets resurrected, she only comes back with one wound um, from her act of faith, not from her miraculous intervention uh, or miraculous, whatever it's called. Uh, so, so I could have very easily killed her with gray knights and then just held my line and then uh, played for maelstrom. That would have for sure won me maelstrom because he didn't have any real way to, to get maelstrom. And I still had a way to kill at least one unit a turn. Uh, so I, I had a chance to secure Maelstrom there and tie primary. And even if I somehow, uh, you know, tied primary and we'd tied Maelstrom, because Maelstrom was so close, I knew we'd at least tie it. I didn't think he could pull it out on me at first. Uh, it turns out that wasn't the case because Celestine won him Maelstrom. But I thought even if we tied primary and tied secondary, I would win off first blood because I got first blood. Uh, and even if he uh, won primary, uh, you know, I, I could... I had one secondary. Basically, I, I was playing. I should have stuck back and played to win off first blood because we both got line breaker. Neither, neither one of us got slay the warlord, and I got I got first blood. So I would have won off first blood, which is what I should have done. I should have played off winning first blood. Uh, so that's that ended up happening. Uh, there was there was this one thing uh, where where we we had to finish our last turns really really quickly at the very end there. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. We we finished our games really quickly. Ken was a gentleman about it. Uh, you know, it was it was really intense. Um, but afterwards, we both drank a shot. I got uh, I had some fire fire uh, fireball, delicious fireball. I love fireball. He got a uh, cream vodka. You know, uh, whipped cream vodka or vanilla cream vodka. I'm sure, it was delicious. Um, we both we just both drank it. He shared his drinks with me. Um, and it was it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. I, there was definitely some salt. Uh, there there was definitely some some sour tastes in both of our mouths for certain parts of the game. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, you know, we're we're two brothers in arms or comrades. Uh, if Ken ever wants to talk to me about lists or just hang out with me, I, I would be more than willing to. Ken is a great guy, and, and that's what kind of what it comes down to. That's kind of what I love about competition and what I love about 40k and tournaments in general is you get these really intense moments. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you, the people that you, you fight with, the people that you, you fight against and, and you go to battle with, like they're, they're your brothers. You know, they understand you more than other people do who aren't in the tournament. They understand that you want to win. They, they have that same competitive drive and that kind of like-mindedness is special, you know, and we don't take anything personally. I don't, I didn't take anything. Any of my opponents said to me personally, I have, I haven't done it in a very long time. Um, my opponent's, 
I hopefully feel the same way. Uh, I obviously I try not to be a complete jerk. You know, I, I can get really rules lawyery. Uh, I I can fight for for little things that I feel should be played one way or another. Um, uh, I, I'm not by far. I'm not the perfect. I'm not a perfect opponent. Um, but I do my best to be respectful, and I always, at the end of the day, at the end of the game, I always do my best to be kind to my opponent because I know that that they are they are like me. They are one of they are one of my people, so to speak. Uh, they are a competitive. They're a tournament player who who is here enjoying this game with me, and they my interaction and my social interaction with them is more important than being a jerk and being a sore loser and or a sore winner. Um, which, which is ultimately, at the end of the day, why I love tournaments. So, that's it, guys. So, uh, I hope you I hope you like that. I, I tried to get into a little bit of everything. Um, if, if you like this kind of narration, you know, I can talk about other tournaments. I can talk about other people's tournaments. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like listening to just me. They, they like hearing a guest back and forth. And you will get that at, in, the next, in the next segment, for sure, after the commercial break. But... Just, just let me know. Just let me know how you, how you feel, how you feel about this. I, I personally, this is where I love. This is what I love talking about, and I think it shows when, when I talk about it. I try my best to, to stay less rambly and, but to still give you guys information. But anyways, let me know what you guys think, and that's it, guys. Thanks very much for listening. I will be back to you with Val Heffelfinger. And one last final thing for the commercial break. I'm just going to go back to the Blake and Ed commercial break. They're, they're great guys from Life After the Cover Save. Uh, I really like that commercial. I like using it because sometimes, like today, I'm a little sick. I really don't want to record a commercial. Uh, it doesn't take that long, but I'm just, I've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes straight. So I, I, I'm going to just put down the, I'm just going to put down the commercial uh, so if you don't like that, I'm sorry. We'll go. We'll be back next week with PD Pob's second handies, and we'll also go back to our regular schedule next week, with the exception of possibly the SoCal Open, which I will talk about on this podcast because that's coming up soon. It's coming up in two weeks, and that's going to be a big thing. So I might not have a podcast on that weekend. I might. I might not. I also haven't decided if I'm going to be playing it or not. But for sure, you're gonna ex- you can expect a lot more great coverage here. I'm going to talk about the lists. I'm going to talk about the best players. I'm going to talk about. You know who won, who lost. Oh, obviously Matt Root won the Iron Halo with with a a similar chaos list to what Nick Nadavati was running, but with Matt Root's own flavor of chaos. Uh, and that was actually another big problem I want to pose to you guys real quick: is five out of the top eight, I think six out of the top eight, or five out of the top eight players were chaos players. Uh, there was a lot of chaos. Three out of the top four were chaos players. Um, and there were some there were some people complaining about it. There were some people bringing concerned about chaos soup being such a dominant thing at this one event. Uh, I don't I don't know if it was just this event. The events the Alaska event I went to wasn't such a big deal. At Nova it was kind of a big deal, uh, but not so much. It it was it was more of a big deal at Nova because there were so many people playing them, and not because not because a lot of people were winning and making the top eight with chaos soup. So it, it it's just it's interesting. I wanna know what you guys think. I wanna know what you guys think about the Chaos Soup and the Imperial Soup and all those lists. I love getting your emails. Once again, you can email me at frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com if you wanna talk lists, if you wanna talk tactics, if you have questions, if you if you wanna if you wanna tell me that I suck, I don't care. Just email me. I read them all. I don't get a chance to reply to them all because I, I am really busy and I do get a lot of emails. Um but please send them my way. I love reading them. Uh, I just love hearing what you guys are doing. So that's it, guys. Thanks very much for listening, and I will see you guys in about 
30 seconds for the next part of the episode. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. Okay, guys, we're back. I hope you enjoyed that commercial break. Uh, I've had been having a lot of fun recording PD Pob's second handies. Um, a little back and forth on the name, but uh, hopefully you guys like it. I haven't heard any feedback on it one way or another, so I'm going to keep doing those commercials until someone tells me to stop or someone tells me to keep going. Um, also, tell me if you guys like the double commercial format. Uh, I know last episode I did do the double commercials. This episode I did one commercial. Um, I don't know what you guys think. Let me know. Anyways, here I am with Val Heffelfinger of the Facebook 40K Verse. Say hi, Val. Hey, how are you doing, Pablo? Ah, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Well, you know, I just want to say normally I don't like second handies, but uh, in your case, I make an exception, and, I, and I'm always happy to see what's going on in the mini market. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. Um, and uh, by the way, quick moment of silence to Warmahords, who unfortunately has fallen down in the market even more. Oh no. Yes, it's bad. Um, I actually, Warmahorde, not to bash another game, but this is a 40K podcast, so I'm going to do it a little bit. Uh, but right now, okay. War Machine and Hordes world is just not not going very well. We're getting, you know, War Machine and Hordes armies left and right in the secondhand shop. People are like, buy my army. And I'm like, no, thank you. I'm okay. Uh, it's just, it, right it, now, it's, it's tanking. That means oh, yeah, that. It's bad. That means it's it's a, it's a buyer's market. It's time to buy. You got to speculate on the warmer hordes, and then when they come out with a hot new release, you chop them again at a nice profit. But do this you, is this is what you got to be doing. But when like towel, right now towel. Like if you're looking around out there online, everyone's getting out of their towel. That codex is going to drop. You're going to make a nice mint off that. It's going to be real nice, Pablo. Uh, unless unless you're a Riptide owner. The Riptides are just, ooh, I don't know, man. Riptides that's, are that's are, near said it. You're set. It's true. You're right. You know what? You, you never know. Um, I, I definitely have my warehouse of 500 Riptides that I'm sitting on in case, <laughs> in case I ever need them to. It's And they're all painted in, in threes, in batches of threes. Uh, and that, you know, That's funny. Well I wonder why three. that would <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there's this, this thing where, where you brought like three Riptides in every army or something, and then you painted at least three colors, but that's it. Um, but I don't know. So. <laughs> Something like that. And anyways, uh, I only ever ran them in fives, so I don't really know. <laughs> Ooh, that's weird. Five riptides? That doesn't even feel right. That's that's like 
that's like saying I watch Disney movies, but only the Disney sequels. It's not good. Oh, that's all straight to VHS stuff, man. I, I was above that. <laughs> all right. Just like I'm above, above five Riptides. All right. We, we, we've achieved uh, uh, common ground here. Val okay. is the, Val is the 40K on. equivalent of the guy who watches only VHS, straight to VHS, Disney DVDs. Or Disney How did I wind movies. up with that title? I, um, that I just gave I it to you. I, I just gave it to you right now. Too bad. It's All right. All right. That's fine. <laughs> oh, sorry, Val. Anyways, let's go ahead. And we're we're go ahead. We're we're gonna go ahead and uh, switch to the main topic. We're a little off topic right now. Um, the main topic is uh, something I know Val is really passionate about, and something I am also really passionate about. Uh, the reason why I brought Val onto the episode is because I semi recently heard him on a podcast talking to two traditionally casual. 40k players and and i just want to add a caveat to this main topic before we go any further just to kind of prevent outrage um i don't want to make you guys mad but when i refer to a casual 40k player i I don't refer to someone who plays 40k casually because as val said in the show notes and uh on the other episode is that there is no real 40k casual player right so no like not really at all so when i say a 40k casual player um, I might say that occasionally, and I'm trying to move away from that a little bit. Uh, but what I mean is, is someone who who is not a competitive 40k, or, or the the ho- part of the hobby that they enjoy is not the competitive gaming aspect, but is more of the hobby aspect of it. So uh, yeah. that's kind I, of I think uh, I, I like to say that yeah, like casuals seem to be. Um, when they say casual, I think maybe they're just referring to how they actually play the literal game. But what you're maybe referring to is the fact that, you know, to even show up and play the most rudimentary game of 40K takes a hilarious amount of preparation and effort and knowledge. And uh, there's there's like literally nothing casual yeah, about 40K. It is nothing, a very intense endeavor. Nothing, nothing <laughs> so. casual. And, and there actually is a true 40K casual, believe it or not. And I think they do make up kind of like like the other half of the majority of like the majority split between two halves of players uh there are players who who are not casuals who focus on one specific part of 40k oh it's the lore the painting or the gaming and they they focus on that and they kind of branch out in other things but they but they really love 40k and then there's the other 40k casual who are the the real 40k casual the um the halo 2 but only on weekends and only on split screen kind of guys you know, uh, <laughs> the 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 guys who only play Call of Duty at at birthday parties, you know, the, the land party casual, the, the land right. party, yeah. Uh, but but if you don't if you don't get the reference, uh, they are the the players who play. They maybe own a few models um, because they maybe their buddy got them into it, or they saw it and they're like, oh, I've got some money to spend. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some money on these models. They probably didn't paint them, so they're probably partially assembled, not very well. Um, but this person, so, so like the the like mythical player that Open Play was written for that no one has ever met. Exactly, the, the, but they okay. exist. I swear, I've seen them before. You know, the people who okay. show up to the game store like once every three months, and they're like, you know what, I've got these models back at home. I play this game, and and when the players are like, oh yeah, go get them, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll come back next week, and then you never see them again. That's yeah. that's the true forty k casual. Back in the day, that uh, you know, as a stinky kid going going to the actual GW, which I don't hear much about anymore, but like uh, uh, they used to do mega battles, and you'd like bring your one unit, and it had to be painted. But you'd have your one unit, and everyone would line up, and you know, it'd be good guys versus bad guys, and that's how you'd go. So maybe that's maybe that's what they're shooting for. 
maybe uh that that actually i wish people more do that i'd love to show up with my unit of custodes and then just re actually no i'd probably just show up with like a, a centurion squad three riptides three riptide yeah there you go that's not even a unit man that's oh, i guess yeah three riptides in a unit never mind uh in my face. Can you do that anymore? I, I no, honestly, I was told. I was, I was told anymore. by informed people That's... not to even read the uh, read, <laughs> the read the riptide data slate. It's uh, so I just it's I skipped kind of over it. It's it's a little it's a little. It, the first time I read it, it made me cringe a little. Um, but anyways, moving on. Um. That's what we're trying to focus on. Is that, so when I say casual, um, I I've yet found a better name for it, a better term for the kind of person who enjoys the hobbying, painting aspect of it, and not the competitive gaming aspect. Uh, but there are definitely people who lean one way or another, uh, and I tend to lean towards the competitive gamer group side, and people who who maybe don't listen to my podcast or or disagree with a lot of the things I say, or maybe just don't like me out of out of spite because I'm a part of the other group. They are in the other group. It, they tend to be in the I other think, group. Back I think one of the, the, the things to really conceptualize maybe is just that maybe they don't take the like running the hottest list or like the, the, the most efficient list very seriously. That's what they're casual about, but they might be very serious about Painting. you know the composition of their army or right. how their army looks or whatever. They take those things very seriously. Very seriously. And maybe discount why you take the part of the game you take seriously, which uh, leads to a lot of contention in all parts of the interwebs. Right, and and that's that's part of what this this episode, this main topic is about, is bridging, kind of bridging that gap, explaining what being a competitive 40k or gamer or someone who enjoys the gaming of 40k, part of that group, um, kind of like what we're all about and what we want to enjoy out of the playing 40k or of the experience of 40k. Uh, so that's kind of what this is, this episode is going to be about. So if you have a buddy who, who maybe he he gets mad at you when you bring your Vindicare assassins in your Custodes list or your Space Marine list, or or maybe you know you got a guy who always runs his pretty Eldar, uh, and you played Eldar in Seventh Edition, and maybe you brought some Warp Spiders, God forbid, um, and he still hasn't gotten you, still hasn't gotten off your back about it. Um, this is kind of your episode. Uh, we're just going to talk about what a gaming a 40k gamer is and the kind of deal with some of the fallacies and misconceptions about that uh and then one final thing is this this episode is about two factions of people who enjoy 40k uh, but it kind of kind of it can kind of apply to real world life you know in my life it, i played magic the gathering semi-competitively uh, i play pokemon uh which i know that's, that's really weird but i play pokemon battling very very competitively like like i've considered doing the vgc tour and flying to britain and compete competing for the world championships very seriously um i didn't even know that was a thing it's a it's a very real thing um you win lots of money uh beating up little five-year-old kids and their game boy ds's and their little pixelated figures um but that's besides the point um so i'm, I'm very i'm very intimate with a lot of different competitive games there's this more like competitive chess etc etc there all there always mm -hmm. seems to be people who take the game the tournament that 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 competitive scene less seriously than people who do right like in pokemon it's all like oh you're just uh you're you're just took that team off smogon like you're you're just running the latest hotness you know that that build is so typical sounds that sounds very familiar right 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 <laughs> um the people in magic they're like oh you're a net decker you're not innovative and then uh, on the flip side, um, you know, the, the competitive tournament scenes have 
their people that they deal with like oh you you know in magic like oh you're just a casual edh player commander player you you know you only care about randos can you even tell me what sam black was running you know or, or do you even know who lsv is um if by the way for those of you who play magic if you got either of those two people in references good on you um but the, the the point is is that there's always everywhere i've gone there always seems to be two sides to the the games there's the tournament people uh the people who take the game very seriously and there's the people who don't and they're all they're yeah. always inevitably seems to be some backlash and some ribbing between both parties right yeah i think you know i mean that can come down to a number of things um you know hobby snobbery you know uh right. we we spend a lot of time thinking about this just in our spare time zoning at our desks whatever it might be and we get really attached to what we think, you know, is good about the hobby that we do, the way we spend our time. And when you see things that really go against the grain of that perception, yeah, it, it, it rubs people the, the wrong way. They feel threatened that their way of doing it, you know, might not work or might not be fun or whatever. So people get, I, I don't know, really oddly personal about it. And yeah. uh, I just feel like there's, 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 you know, I mean, sure, there aren't... A, I can't imagine there's that many people who play 40k in the grand scheme of things. No, but not at all. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of room for everyone to enjoy their toys in a respectful way and also learn things from each other too. Right, and and I'm glad that you mentioned people take it personally because I think that's part of the bigger issue. Is it? I it has to do with personalities more than actual, you know, uh, gaming and, and what the nature of the game is. It, it really does have to do with personalities. You know, even in, in real life, you know, I've, I, this is, this is going to sound a little silly, um, but I make, when I make sandwiches or when I make dinner for my family um, versus my wife, mm -hmm. like I, I, I go all out. Like I make this recipe, you know, the thing, and I tell everyone like, isn't my food amazing? Like, blah, blah, blah. I take it very seriously. You know, if, if there was almost a competitive sandwich, making. almost competitive, not just sandwich making, but, but almost like this competitive, like drive, like I always need to be the most innovative in my family, but my mom. You know, she's just she makes the same pozole Mexican food every every night. You know, makes it it's delicious as as far as as far as the same thing over and over every night can be. Um, but you know, mm -hmm. it, it's just it, it's just her personality is she just wants to feed the family and and like and there's like, and there's and there's also something to be there's something to be said about just mastering your list, right? Right. I mean, and that's true. You know, she she does she's not out there tinkering every time. Right, like, right. Chase the meta. She is making she just, that Mexican rice. Putting down her tax squads, and she knows what's yeah, up. And you know what? She could make it in in her sleep. But if you ask me to make beef stroganoff, uh, very different variations of beef stroganoff, I might not be able to do that. Um, it'll take me some time. But that's not the point. The point is, is there are there's personality stuff at stake here. Uh, in when we're playing with our little plastic toy soldiers, and on top of that, people only have so much time to be good at one thing or, or to be sure. not good, but, but to invest their time into one thing, right? So that one guy who who paints his army really well and looks down at people who play in tournaments, uh, he, it might be more that he just doesn't have the time to be really good at tournaments, right? Like he, he's chosen to invest the majority of his limited amount of time to game because let's face it, we all have, most of us have in the hobby have jobs, have lives, you know, have other things that we have to do, other responsibilities. So we have only this limited amount of space to play this game and to enjoy this hobby experience. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick and choose, right? Like I just spent an hour painting, uh, three painting like 20 models to a three color minimum or it was like an hour and a half doing that to spend 
a whole weekend at the Iron Halo, and we're recording this before the Iron Halo, so you guys, you guys are gonna be a little confused because I just talked about the Iron Halo in the in previously in the tournament news. But uh, You're dating we're, yourself, right? Uh, we're recording this pre Iron Halo, so I just painted three guys or painted th- twenty models, the three color minimum, to go spend, you know, sixteen plus hours at a tournament, right? So that's that's how I'm choosing to balance my forty k time. Right. Uh, but yeah. some people might like a mix of that. Some people like it the other way. That's perfectly fine. Whatever way you enjoy it, it that, that's good. I'm not going to rib on someone who who grows the game in their own way. And in return. And, and, and kudos to you, Pablo, for at least getting to the three color minimum. Thank you. That I appreciate. I was I've, very I've been proud to I've been to I've been to GTs where uh, where best general was won by a guy who had his uh, screamers literally on rolled up pieces of tinfoil. No. So See, that was la- that was last year. Uh, so a, so a GT that will go on. Uh, so so okay, so two things. One, I've got a reputation to keep, you know. I I got to get the three color minimum down cuz I'm I'm kind of known in my And pretty much scene. anything <laughs> pretty much anything would help your reputation at this point. So three I, I, colors will You're right, you're right. But definitely tinfoil screamers would definitely not help my reputation at all. Um but mm. It's it's for me personally as a podcaster, and this is getting a, a little personal, and that that's fine. But um, if you guys don't like it, sorry. Please. But um, it, anyone who who goes out of their way to grow the game and get people to purchase models, uh, essentially puts direct money into my pocket. You know, it might not be a <laughs> lot of money. Seriously, this is the way I look at it. Because uh, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people like to to uh, either either put me up on this pedestal as this guy who's like speaks for the competitive 40k players and like i hate painters and hobbyists like that's not true at all um i actually i love everyone who brings more people into the game because what that does is that means brings more people buying models right and then more people well, buy yeah. models they 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 sell their models to the second hand shop or maybe they buy models from frontline frontline gaming all that turns into more profit for frontline gaming as a company uh which helps well, yeah and it... right it's it's basically that, that's living. that's always been a pretty uh, there's always been a pretty transparent uh, big tent philosophy I think to frontline gaming which I've always appreciated it's always been you know on the sleeve of you know you Reese and Frankie and anyone else who's getting out there saying that you know yeah we we do make things in an attempt to be more accessible to more people because more people playing the game is better for us but also it leads to better events right leads to cooler things to go out and do it leads to more players to play against more variety of opponents like the the more we can do to make it so that it's not as scary um for you know that person who probably could play in a tournament but doesn't because they think we're all dicks um (laughs) you know anything we can do to make it a little bit more inclusive i think is only a good thing because there can be i i honestly my personal sense is that because tournament players, just by the virtue of the fact that there aren't a lot of tournaments to go to in general, and you know it's a pretty intensive, time-intensive thing to do, um, you know we're definitely in the minority as far as overall players and all games played. You know most of them aren't going to be tournament games, um, and as a result, I really do feel like actually there's a bigger like anti-tournament, anti-tournament player mentality out there than there would be, you know, like tournament players going around kicking sand in people's faces. Which seems to be the stigma that you know tournament players have, which is I think completely beside the point, and that's also the opportunity to segue for a tournament player when they're yeah, yeah, yeah like for a tournament player when they're out when they're out at the store or whatever or 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 meeting up for a pickup game to be able to emphasize you know why things are taken in a list or 
you know, why they might approach their list differently than dude with five different heavy weapons and his Devastator squad or whatever. Yeah, you're definitely right. And, and we can definitely talk, we can definitely use this as a segue into the actual main topic, but you, you're right. Uh, there's there does seem to be more of a stigma towards people who play 40k and go to tournaments than people who who hobby and paint, right? It, so if you go on if you go online and you post like, oh, here's my list, like I'm and it's all you know heavy bolter, salt razor or salt cannon razorbacks and Gilliman, you know you're more likely to see people get upset, right? Um, but if you someone posts like offended. Like right, a, like offended. Like it's, like, a, it's ah, an offensive thing. You yeah, know what? I've, yeah. got, I've got the perfect anecdote for, to explain this phenomenon. That there is a Warhammer 40k buy, sale, and trade group that I'm a part of. We all know them. We're all part of probably a billion of them. Uh, where mm. someone posted this model, this beautiful model that they were selling. Right? Like, like it, it, was, it was gorgeous, uh, you know. And then it was, it, Did he ask it was for like a, a space price? brain model. No, no, no. It wasn't, this is, picture wasn't, the picture wasn't really, it was more of an eye catcher. Um, the picture was a model he painted okay. of a space brain, an Imperial Fist space brain. Um, but the mm -hmm. army he was selling was an Imperial Fist army that wasn't painted nearly to the same standard as the space brain. And essentially it was, okay. the picture was this, it was this eye catching thing, right? And, and he was like, sorry, picture not related, but um, I'm selling an Imperial Fist army. I can paint it to this standard for an additional fee, or you can sell, or you can buy this army at this fee, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 right? The majority of the comments, overwhelmingly positive. Like, whoa, that's so cool. The layering on that's amazing. How did you convert the demon head? Blah, 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 blah. It was, it was, it was positive, right? The, the rule, now, the rules for this group are simple. You, you're not allowed to post things that don't directly pertain to buying or selling what the seller is all about, right? So, so it's like mm -hmm. all these people no, been, are essentially I've been banned from breaking, this group. right, right. All the people are essentially breaking the rules, right? Like, oh, you can't, yes. you can't do that. But every, every, they're all breaking the rules. No big deal. Um, mod moderator didn't say anything. The guy sold his army in peace. A uh, fast forward a month later, eighth edition hits. Uh, someone does the same thing with Dark Eldar, specifically Razorwing flocks. So he puts up a picture of the, it's an infamous picture. It's of an Imperial Knight surrounded by Razorwing flocks in a tournament. Okay. Right? Yeah. It, every, we all know it. I'm sure you guys have seen it. If you if you listen to this podcast, you're the kind of crowd who would have seen it. So there's this knight surrounded by Razorwing flocks, right? And so a guy says, different guy, picture not related. Uh, you know, I'm selling a Dark Eldar army and Razorwing flocks. Uh, I'm getting out of the competitive scene, blah, 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 blah. Don't like 8th edition, whatever, right? Like, he posts some stuff. He probably shouldn't have put the don't like 8th edition stuff, uh, which invited more discourse, but that, that's not the point. The point is, is he still didn't break the rules, might have bent the rules like the other guy. Um, didn't break the rules, mm -hmm. though. Had stuff to sell. Used the picture to grab. The over overwhelming amount of of people on the on the, um, uh, on the comments were like, Oh, like those are horrible. Like, blah 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 blah. You know, that's why. Why are models like this? Eventually, um, it got so bad that the mod banned the guy, kicked it, kicked the post out, <laughs> d deleted it, right. and t the yeah. reasoning for it was he he broke the rules because people weren't talking about um, this issue. But people who were who were going did they in do there one of those defending... posts where they had his like head on a pike and right. it was like yeah. Ban yeah yeah they yeah they actually yeah. did yeah those guys are class acts i love that oh that my god group. The group is... punks. but but the point is, the point is is not only did they do that uh but people who were going in there and saying like oh that that's cheese that's competitive this is why i don't do tournaments like those that crowd they weren't getting banned but people who were arguing against them saying like hey that's unfair or hey this isn't why are we allowing this why are we allowing this in this buy sell and trade group 
like why is this okay moderators were banning the people who were arguing and defending the competitive 40k group going so far as to ban people who said why is this allowed in this group because moderators agreed with the person right so like i i yeah. messaged the head moderator like hey man what the hell this is this is a trade group and he's like well people have their opinions and i'm you know i can't stop that and i was like, like there's clear there's clear bias in the community uh against competitive players and it shows in the uh, my, my favorite group, uh good yeah no, I was just gonna say my my favorite anecdote along those lines is when um, and actually I feel like I I played against one of uh, one of the first iterations of this list uh, actually a protege of friend of the show Dan Platt uh, not protege but friend and uh, it was the all characters list and it was like maybe a month into eighth edition mm. and uh, and then I guess a couple of weeks later there was I guess it was a tournament in Texas where the all characters list wins yes and it, uh, and it gets yeah, it becomes it becomes like internet famous, and there's an ITC, uh, you know, tournament organizers group, and those guys were like list shaming the all characters list. It was just totally like across the board offensive, even to like competitive types. And when I played it, I literally tipped by cap because I was like, well, that's just way more clever than what I came to the table with today, and you know, like. But for some reason, things will be considered offensive where other things are just accepted as, yeah, no problem. That's cool. I don't know. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah. So absolutely. Uh, and that brings us to to what competitive 40K is all about in the main topic. Uh, simply put, I'm going to I'm going to read off of these notes verbatim. Simply put, the focus is trying to win for competitive 40K. And that's that's simply what it's about. Um, there's nothing wrong with trying to win a game of competitive 40k. Uh, there's nothing wrong to trying to win a game. Period. Uh, you know, it's it's a game. It's it's meant to be this winner and loser. It's meant to have this winner and loser. Um, and that's it. You know, even in narrative games, even even in pickup games, like the object of the game, the game is designed to have someone win. And if you're sure. doing some everything in your power within the confines of the game, so I.A. not cheating, um, to win. There shouldn't be a penalty for that. That shouldn't be something negative, right? Uh, yeah. And that's that's the essentially what competitive 40k is all about is is a celebration of winning the game. Yeah, and I think that's and and that uh, maybe something too to like extend to people who maybe don't feel comfortable with that concept and is the sense that it's okay to try to win. And like in the concept of like bigger GTs or tournaments, it's also okay to like not be trying to win number one you might have i mean you guys talk about this all the time setting your own personal goals for things you know five game in a five round tournament maybe it's going three and two and doing your best to get to your own personal best um you know like the, just just you're going out there to try you know you're not going out there just to push around models and get beat up all day because that's not fun for really anybody no uh and competitive 40k is is a much more personal you know intimate thing uh accomplishment that, that people are trying to accomplish and let me let me explain a little further uh, when a person paints a beautiful model that they're competing with they're trying to compete for best in show right with this model it could be it could be a bust it could be a large model small model whatever right people in general will not rib on that person for spending 80 90 100 hours on this single model or or spending thousands of dollars to get every single last bit for this grand 
you know, this grand scenery set or whatever, right? No, no one's going to rib on them for doing that because it, there's this spectacle that, that, you know, there's proof of all that hard work and this accomplishment. And on top of that, there's a spectacle for them to partake in and enjoy and seek entertainment out of in the form of that big painting thing, whatever it is, the paint model or whatever. Yeah, and there's also there, there's a lot of respect for the skills that, that go that, into making that really nice model. As, that as well. Right. So, so it's this it's this thing that we all share. Right. But on the flip side, uh, com for competitive 40K for gaming and celebration, if you've ever watched a guy like like Nick Nottavati player, Sean Naden, especially especially Sean Naden, no offense, to Nick Nottavati, he's a great player. I played him. Um, but but w there was one point when I was watching Sean Naden play with Lichter Shame at the Las Vegas Open where I was like, this is this is an art like he's just he's just uh, playing circles around this guy that one of his opponents. Um and I was able to enjoy it, but to someone else, you know, a, a, a passerby, someone walking by, all they see is, you know, some poorly painted lictors, right? Uh, and yeah. nothing else. Like, oh, okay, this is just a game playing. But in Sean, all of the action is going on in Sean Naden's mind. All of the art, all of, all of the spectacle, all of the entertaining stuff, that's going on in Sean Naden's mind and in the game, and it's not visibly apparent, right? So it, yeah, it, and it's, it's much yeah. more of an intimate you know, personal thing that people can't really, I'm not saying can't, but, but people don't naturally gravitate to as this, as this thing that they, that, that they'll, you know, find entertainment out of. Right. Yeah. So, I think, I think with, with that one, there's, I think legitimately people who love to like, you know, really role play. I mean, Reese talks about this all the time, like really role playing, being the general or whatever and, and seeing himself, out there as commanding the, these armies or, you know, whatever you want to get into. But I think with, in a competitive scene, it, what it is is that the game, it's more of a game and less of a story. So, you know, there's, like you're saying, like Sean Naden's probably making all the PPU noises in his head too, I assume. <laughs> he seems like a fun guy. Um, but it's it's not as, as obvious. And so, you know, I think where a lot of people get frustrated is that they expect the sort of game to fit their narrative, whereas... You know, when you're in a competitive game and, you know, you've got some unusual formations out there, sort of the, the narrative is going to just have to fit the game. And, uh, you know, the units that do well and, and sort of create that theater of the mind as it unfolds and all the exciting moments happen, you know, might not be, uh, you know, uh, you know, like perfect to the story, but it, it, it still is entertaining and it still is very cinematic and just in a different way than, you know, if you had it all as it is in the pictures, you know. And you're absolutely right. And that, that's something I think most 40K players can probably do a lot better with uh, is creating different narratives depending on, you know, what they want out of the game, right? So uh, if you, you know, if you're a casual player or uh, if you are a player who enjoys not the gaming aspect of it, not the tournament side of it, uh, it's, it's very easy to make your own narrative and fill the story, you know, with, with your guard army, lots of bodies, shooting gunning down a Tyranid Swarm, you know, making some epic last stand, uh, or whatever, right? But w what's important to know is, is as you guys listen to this episode, and when you guys leave from this episode, if there's one thing I really want you to take, it's this. It's There are different ways to form your own narrative, and there are different narratives to form, right? So the, sure. I choose to go with the tournament narrative, which is, you know, I, I in my mind, and I, I know this doesn't happen, but in my mind, I imagine this grand... WWE showdown, you know, of the best players playing each other, and there's all these inner controversies, you know, like Steve Sisk just slept with with 
Nick Nonavati's wife. Uh, and it's really funny because Nick Nonavati's married, which is why I picked those two. Like Steve Sisk just slept with Nick Nonavati's wife, or like, like giving her the apple thing. Aaron Along, Aaron Along just just talked mad shit about Tony Grappando or whatever, right? Like this is all going in my That's head. On real, in my head. That's real. Oh, That's real. I pulled hard at 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 I hope uh, Michigan not. GT. Oh no, I, I was trying to pick, uh, you know, isolated people. And anyways, the point is, is I I build this up this tournament narrative, and then I sell it on a podcast, right? Like I, this is where I talk about the tournament news and the tournament narrative on this podcast because I love that stuff. Like I love all that controversy. So you're, you're the you're the PT Barnum Dana White of yes. of forty k. That's yes. what we're looking for. Yeah, and so so when you guys go home or you guys talk to people who who are kind of anti-tournament, you know, just tell them like, this is, you know, I'm building my own narrative here. You know, I, I'm not just, I'm not just trying to immerse myself in the game, in the in lore and the gaming part of it. Like I'm trying to immerse myself in the event, you know, like my narrative is, you know, actually good. All these, all these like really, really cool. And, and like big time players, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I think one of the reasons why I get, get a big kick out of competitive 40 K because first of all, podcast land, like if you if you Google Val Heffelfinger, you're not going to see me winning any GTS. I go out there, I try hard, but you know I'm not by any means a top tier player. But I've gotten the chance to lose to a lot of top tier players, uh, including Tony Grappando. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is that the the cool thing is like you were talking about your Pokemon International London tournament traveling to it. There's a circuit, you know, all this stuff. It's almost like they're already sort of at a level above and there's probably already clicks and there's already, you know, people that are hard to access in 40 K. Yeah. It's like, it's a really small, small world. Like I, I'm a, just a, just a guy and I'm on one of the, probably one more popular 40 K podcasts chatting about what I think about it. And you can reach out and talk to like, if you see a player who plays your particular faction or an army that you really like, like I, I reached out in seventh to, to Ganyo and I asked him about my LVO list. And he was giving me tips. He never talked to me, knew who I was or anything like that. And he's one of the best players out there. And yeah. like that's one of the cool things about it is that, yeah, these guys might be named players and they might go out there and do a lot better than you or I will. But, you know, they're willing to share their tips and tricks and they're mostly normal, accessible people. And it's it's really cool in that way. Yeah, that's actually a, an amazing point that I've never thought of uh that's that's actually pretty cool. I'm I, I'm just I'm in my head. I'm trying to imagine a younger version of myself hitting up Tom Brady for, for <laughs> backing tips, and it's just it's not. I just don't foresee myself succeeding. Um, even even though back then when I was in high school, he was uh he wasn't as big. He would only won two Super Bowls, um, I think. Right. Yeah. You no, know, he'd won three. Um, he'd won his full complement of three when I graduated. But the the, the point is we, is that. Is that yeah that that and that's a very interesting thing as well is um there are it, there are a lot of of big name players who all hang out in clicks and they they all talk to each other and they're all very accessible and that's cool yeah and the, you know because this is a social game um and probably you don't have much time for beer and pretzels at tournaments but uh, because it was a social game, you know, a lot of the guys who really enjoy going to tournaments and really, you know, are able to play at the top tier, when you watch them play games, like, um, uh, maybe I misread it, but, you know, watching Ganyo and, uh, and Kelsey play at the top table of Nova, which is another cool thing. You can watch the best players play whenever you want. Um, you know, they were really, you know, they weren't really at each other's throats. It's sort of the penultimate match of, you know, one of the biggest tournaments that this game has. And they were 
pretty level-headed about it all all the way through. Even the even the like uh, legendary no decision, you know, handshake game and the Invitational. If you actually hang in there and you watch them talk about the game that didn't happen, like I learned a ton of stuff. I mean, I'm 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 a plebe, like total, <laughs> you know, like uh, um, I, I'm just very interested to see how they think about the game. And you could see them breaking it down again, very like civilly, like they're not, you know, mad about each other. You know, uh, uh, that's pajama pants, right? Who who conceded? Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, yeah. in the finals in the Invitational game, and I'm not going to pick a side here. Don't ask. Don't, don't try to assume anything. But in the finals in the game, Pajama Pants did concede to Ganyo before the first die roll, uh, but basically before Ganyo's first turn because he didn't get the yeah. first turn. He didn't get to go first. Uh, and he'd already he... rationed, reasoned out with Ganyo how essentially if he didn't go first, he was going to lose. Um, now, should he, shouldn't have, shouldn't, should he have done it? I don't know. Um, at this particular point, I don't really care. You know, he's... There, yeah, he's there's, there's like that, that's Nova, the, did, Nova handled it. the point it, of the anecdote, you know. I guess. Right, yeah. right. The point of the anecdote is, is more just that even in that scenario, I mean, yeah, Ganyu just shook hands for, I don't know, a thousand bucks or whatever it was. But yeah. even in that scenario where there wasn't a game, um, both of them were, you know, quite gentlemanly about it and really level-headed. And I think, like... What a lot of casual players might assume that scenario to be is is really fraught, like super intense and mean and gamey, and like every edge matters. And like pajama pants was like, screw you, I'm not playing you, man. And really, what happened was is they're like, yep, yeah, bad beat. All right, well, here's what could have happened, and they still learn things from the game, which is kind of neat, or at least it appeared to be that they were learning. Yes. Um, and I mean, pajama pants was in that position for other reasons outside of that game itself, so. Uh, yeah, we don't need to get into it all. Yeah, but uh, and and here's another thing too. If you if you guys ever find yourself in that kind of situation, um, do yourselves a favor and play the game anyways. So just uh, don't don't follow pajama. That's the one thing I want to say about that is pajama pants. Alan is has played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of 40k games. So is Ganyo. Yeah, they we're not played that each other several. They probably played <laughs> each other several times. You know, they probably it, had like a tabletop simulator game going right. on under the table in their heads. Yeah. They, you know, they had already mind linked to each other. You, you, they, they knew every possible scenario. You know, this was Batman versus, um, God, what is the guy from the, Oh, you know what? There might try to make a comic book reference and I failed miserably. Um, Anyways, you guys get my point. Uh, I'm but, just going to let you twist in the wind on that one. Yeah, it's, ah, damn it. Anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, don't do that, essentially. Uh, finally, yeah. point C on this is there is no such thing as cheese. Um, I actually, yeah. Val, Val, I think, can explain this one a little bit better than I can. Because... Um, this is the, the concept of cheese again, I think comes is, is more of an, an aesthetic thing. Um, like when you're talking about power and all that kind of stuff, because when you see people build lists in stores that aren't for tournaments, they're still building with what they think is the best thing. And generally speaking, what gets titled cheesy is whose ever stuff actually is the best thing. So, you know, and, and it's kind of a pervasive term. I don't know where it comes from. Like even, you know, last week we, you, you had Matt on who's from Canada and, you know, runs many war games. He's a, he's a great guy. Does awesome stuff, um, but he always loves to talk about cheese and rag on, like powered units. And really, in competitive play, there's there's no such thing as 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 
you know, a cheese or unfair unit. I think that's what you're saying when you call something cheese. You're saying that's unfair. It's only unfair if it's if if you're literally cheating. Um, and if and if you have the ability to bring something that could give you a better chance to win the game because you are trying to win the game and you don't, well, that's 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 your call, right? Like that's not your opponent's fault for bringing something that that might be a little more powerful than what you have. And I actually think that's why at tournaments usually balance between opponents and the the odds of them being on the same page is better than in a random game because you know everyone kind of knows what's up at a tournament there is no such thing as cheese so i I actually tend to feel like there's less hurt feelings in in your average tournament day than there is at an average day of pickup games at the shop yeah that's definitely an easy assumption and and a safe assumption to make the it's it's and it goes beyond that. You you have here in the notes you have a uh, names like Netlister and Cheesemonger too. They, they not only they not only are fallacies in in the sense and in, in the grand scheme of things they're they're not things at tournaments. Uh, there actually there are Netlisters at tournaments and even in the tournament scene Netlisters kind of have a little bit of a bad rep. Um, but that's less from a oh you're breaking the game and you're being unfun standpoint and more of like a oh you can't really make your own list. You know, um, so you got a net list. Um, yeah, but when like when a guy a like right, good. When, when a guy like Andrew Gagne or even Kelsey, who are both running, you know, what you might call, you know, net listy builds, popular builds, things that have been spotted as being like really efficient choices. When those guys get called net listers, and that you know, of course they won. Those are those are those are just uh, overpowered lists. Those are cheesy lists. Of course they won. That completely fails to know that, but that completely like disregards the fact that everyone else was bringing the best shit. Oh, Val, you're cutting out, buddy. Sorry, everyone. I was just saying that everyone else is bringing like the the best stuff that they have too, and and you know who ultimately whoever wins the tournament, whatever that that big list is that beats everyone else, that's declared cheesy. And if we go through and nerf everything in the game whatever winds up winning the tournament will be declared cheesy. And I just think that's absurd. Really, it comes down to who's able to, yeah, list build is one thing, but ultimately make the best choices and decisions throughout, you know, two grueling days of playing 40K. Yeah, and and that's that's one thing. And the other thing, too, is, is it's okay to be upset at someone who brings um, quote-unquote cheesy, you know, hard things. Because there are there are places for such things right you know uh, i'm not going to for example i in seventh edition i would not have brought a riptide wing and a scent star um when i'm playing my wife who had a <laughs> lovely unpainted she is a true 40k casual in the sense that she has a full zinch demon army half of it is assembled the other half is still in box uh and she has played maybe two games um but she should get some of those tinfoil bases <laughs> Uh, no, no wife of mine is putting her screamers on tinfoil bases. Um, but anyway, so I would not bring a hard hitting tournament list when playing my wife, um, for two reasons. Sure. One, I like my bed and two, I don't, I don't want to ruin her experience as a new gamer. You know, she is still, she is still, even now, two years later, even though she's, she collected this army two years ago, she's still now a budding 40 K player, right? I still have aspirations right. of her being really into the game um i are they unfounded probably um but But like are you are you are you an actual competitive 40k player if you take 
the the like the the Lamborghini uh, of of forty k lists, and then go down to the drag strip and like race guys and Camaros. Like, are, is is are you really a competitive player, or no. are you just you're just a jerk? Obviously, <laughs> you know, like, obviously. I think... I, that's actually that's actually really that's actually really funny. Um, but but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so uh, there are there are places for your Lamborghini and. Uh, sometimes you gotta bust out the Cadillac and relax and enjoy the road, right? You know. That's right. You so need that, you need that Lola sometimes. <laughs> um, but uh, moving on to stories have themes, and games have rules. One of the big fundamental differences between how people play 40k, who play 40k tournaments, play the game versus people who play casually uh, and people who play yes. uh, at their garages um, is that when you play a game of 40k in a garage uh, or or with your buddies, uh, with no where winning is maybe not the primary, you know, op- option or primary focus, uh, this the game is kind of revolves more around a story or a narrative. Right, like can I uh, can I call complete? Can I just call complete bull? I'm just gonna say bullshit there because like <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but growing up and playing in you know the basement at my friend's place, okay, like we would go home angry over <laughs> rule states. You know, like no yes. one, no one is like like casually interpreting a rule that's going to really screw them over. You know, <laughs> so so I have two gaming groups. I have my my my. Actually, I have three gaming groups. I have the Game Empire Wednesday, like Wednesday Night League Night, which I've been going to a lot lately. Um, I have that gaming group, and that gaming group tends to be split. All right, there are people who who are uh, baby seals. We call them baby seals who to bring their fun narrative stuff to the events, and they want to have a good time. They want to immerse themselves in the lore. Uh, and then there are people who who would win GTs. Yeah, no, there are people who would win GTs who are really competitive. Um, if they just went to tournaments, right, who are really good, uh, and they win in their own way. Uh, and there, there's people right. who are combinations of both. And then I have my buddy Hunter and my buddy Eisen, who got me into the game. We play, when I play with them, we play on the floor of Hunter's Garage, I'm not joking, with glass bottles, boxes, still, even now. I've, I've played on $1,000 You're not a, you're tables. not a 40-click. 40k slumming it is not that's yeah yeah i've played on on thousand dollar tables uh against top tier players and and beautifully painted armies and i will still yeah. slum it with my buddy hunter and eisen they don't play very much anymore uh, but when i play with with my buddies hunter um, and eisen i just want to say i just want to say that is a great use for pablo's straight to vhs disney collection <laughs> makes excellent Makes excellent VHS, uh, you know, <laughs> line of sight blocking. They're fantastic with those they're big great. plastic covers. The only thing they're yeah. good for Jafar now. is always scary. But um, <laughs> uh, and it's actually not Jafar. Jafar's dead. He never went to no straight to VHS uh, collections at all. But uh, g- moving on. Um, actually no, I guess uh, pr- Prince. Cool. Yeah, I guess Prince. Revenge of Jafar. Revenge of Jafar. He got his own. You're right. My bad. Um, I was just Get picturing. Get together. Ah oh, man, I, I. You know what? I gotta work, brush up on my Disney trivia, but moving on. Um, when I played, up in Canada, we don't have Netflix, man. We just got the straight to VHS. <laughs> That's all you guys got. That's you guys all still have got. Blockbuster too, I imagine. <laughs> uh, just, just like old ones that they've like shipped here from America. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when I play Hunter and Eisen, uh, we have a very specific, fun, evolving narrative. Um, it sort of revolves around Calgar fighting the Swarm Lord. 
Every single time. Like, we've got a tally. Right now, Calgar's down, um, but we haven't played an 8th edition yet, so Calgar has a chance to 1v1 the Swarmlord. But th the point is is that we would play, and we would, you know, I would always bring Calgar, Aizen would always bring Swarmlord. Hunter would kind of just show up with his guard and shoot at us, uh, because Hunter was traditionally a very slow player. So he would just kind of, like, take his shooting phase, and while he was doing his shooting phase, we would play our full turn. So Hunter was kind of like a third proxy player sometimes, or I would put him just on my team. Just completely out of sequence. <laughs> right, right. right. Just, just like a baby with a toy. Just like, here, Hunter, here's take a bag of dice, like, you know, roll your dice, do your thing. Um, I love Hunter. He's a, he's one of my closest friends. Um, Apparently, close friends are nonverbal. That's, that's good. <laughs> but, um, uh, but essentially that would be the, the the narrative behind this and then that's kind of that's kind of where i'm going is that those those store those games have their own stories right not even they might not even be fluff related right in this case it was just two models that we both loved uh, in the swarmlord and calgar yeah. and we always tried to get them one on one in the center every single time now could i have you know just blown Eisen's tyrant list out of the water with like my sense star or whatever list and could i just not run calgar in the little board yeah but that's not the point that wasn't the point of those games right so games competitive 40k games and tournaments have rules they have a specific they, they don't have themes they don't have stories they don't have narratives uh revolving on any of that stuff they have rules and guidelines and that's that's what people want. That's that yeah. is the point. As uh, as the sub check once uh, sorry as as the Big Lebowski said to the sub check, uh, this isn't nom. There are rules, uh, and 40k I think at a competitive level because it is even in our beautiful streamlined eighth, still a very dense game to understand. Still a lot of nuance. You you still have to if you're like oh, there's only nine pages of rules. Like say that to anyone who doesn't play 40k. It's like memorize this nine pages of rules and we'll go have a fun time. Um, you know, you kind of have to uh, embrace the crunch, as it were. You know, you have to be into how the mechanics work, and you have to be into how all those rules interactions work. And that maybe isn't the thing that turns everyone's crank. And I think another thing that tournament players often get called is rules lawyers, you know, or people who are trying to, like, game the system for their advantage. Whereas really, I think they're actually just trying to play the game as close to the rules as possible because you have to do that if you're going to play in a competitive way. Yeah, and and you know there's there's things you gave an excellent example here of of people still being able to shoot flyers with flamers. Um, that's just one example of of rules dominating your the way you look at a game. Um, that's something that you just have to kind of look past. Like you, you know, yeah, flyers can flamers can shoot flyers. Like that is it is a rule. And instead of focusing on that. Uh, gamers, uh, competitive 40k tournament players, accept that that is a rule and look beyond the narrative of a space marine shooting a Stormhawk interceptor with a flamer and killing it, right? Because that's not. The or point. you know, Gilliman like hustling along the ground and like ordering a friggin' <laughs> unit a Cyclops Storm Raven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like okay, you Cyclops, know, like... move a little faster and blow up that Vindicator <laughs> perfectly. Go Cyclops, boy. Like, beep Go boop, boy. Beep boop bop. Um. <laughs> yeah but but um it, it, it's so it's it's much um it's much more focused on the rules and it, it's so much more focused on the rules that going to a competitive 40k tournament it, you know uh, knowing the rules and being good at them is something that is celebrated right that, that it's this thing you know this this thing that and, you're like, and oh, like I know the rules. competitive 
and a competitive advantage too. If, yes. If, uh, you know, and that could be abused at in times uh, on more of a shadier side of things. But um, yeah, if you are you know credible with the rules, you're going to be able to usually outplay your opponent. And also, if you don't know your own rules, it's maybe time for you to keep practicing before you go to a tournament. You kind of want to at least have that that much covered your own rules. Yes. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. You mentioned something here about dumb interactions being actively hunted for and fixed via the FAQ and the RADA. And, and that's, that's something that you might as might want to tell your people who don't, who don't go to tournaments, who are kind of weary about it is that, you know, there is this focus on rules, right? And, and, that does lead to rules lawyering occasionally. Um, like you said, shady things, playing above the tabletop, um, kind of pulling the wool over your opponent's eyes a little bit. Some of some of the unseemly parts of competitive 40k, they, they do happen. I'm not going to tell you that they don't. Um, but in general, they are, are mostly boogeymen. Um, mostly right. boogeymen. And if they happen to me, it would probably fly over my head. So right. as far as I'm concerned, everyone's just a really good guy. Right. So, but so... um. There are these rules. There's this focus on rules, and if that's not your thing, um, because of dumb rules, blah, 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 or whatever, whatever your argument is, uh, remember, GW is still actively fixing the rules. They're, they're taking steps to make the rules better, uh, to make, which yeah. in turn makes competitive 40K, the competitive 40K tournament scene better right, because of this focus on rules. Um, yeah. That's pretty and if rad. you think about it too, like one of the uh, it is pretty rad. <laughs> if you think about one of the things people really hated so much, and again, anger, angry hate about seventh, like the seventh edition really was a casual players uh, edition. You know, it, they they really assumed that GW really assumed that their player base didn't actually care that much about all this stuff. That they did just want to throw models on the table. Look at Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar literally had no points. And they couldn't have been more wrong about their player base. Ultimately, when someone shows up to a game or wants to play a game, they're playing it because there are defined boundaries to what can occur in that game. And if that's not clear, it's literally broken. It's not fun. So having a, a good understanding of rules, having those rules being constantly play tested, largely through tournaments, you'll note that they've gone to tournament play uh, kind of as their lab, they're, they're going in person to tournaments to witness, you know, what people are doing on the tables to get feedback from players who are really pushing the boundaries with things. Because ultimately, if you refine a rule set really well for competitive play, it's going to work in competitive play, and it's also going to make a better casual or narrative game as well at the same time. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It yeah, something, something I want to share with you guys is at Nova, uh, GW was at Nova, and the two of the people with, with a large influence on the way 40K, the direction 40K is going to go, um, were in the Invitational, uh, Pete Foley and uh, Nick. Um, hey, he's the lead, the, he's the lead designer of 40K. Yeah, Pete Foley is he's kind of a big deal. I, 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 you know, he's actually a really nice guy. I drank with him a little bit. I, um, but uh, I've, I've literally screen capped his tweets as like proof and arguments about rules. So yeah, yes, right? like Pete said, I appreciate this, his work. Um, but the, we're not, we're not going to focus on Pete. We're actually going to focus on the forge world. I don't know if he's the head rules guy at forge world, the head rules developer, um, or one of the, on the team, but he is one of the guys who writes the forge world rules. Right. And I literally saw him, you know, standing at a table didn't have an expression on his face really but he was staring at someone using malefic lords and i know where you guys are going with this <laughs> and and I, 
<laughs> just I swear, sternly like, with arms crossed. This might just be projecting a little bit, but I swear I, I saw I saw a little bit of disappointment in his face. Um, and that that might just me beaming. That might be just me spitballing here. But um, the point is, is that. GW was physically there at Nova watching yeah. tournament players play their game that, that they created and, and invested this time into um, and, and watching it work organically. And then that, that's, that's huge. That's another real yeah. good reason for getting more people to come to tournaments, especially big ones like the Las Vegas Open uh, and Nova, right? Or Adepticon. Yeah. Go out. If you uh, I think. Good. I was just going to say that one little digression here. One thing that's a real annoyance to me right now online, and it, again, I guess it's because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a frontline gaming fanboy. There's no doubt about it. But it's just the idea that there's always just be these battles between rules as written, as come down the mountain from Moses, and rules as intended, which, of course, you can't know the mind of God. You know, these rules, they're, they're impossible to, to, to understand. We only have what is written. Um, but now we do have rules as intended. We have like the red phone to to Nottingham, you know, through the playtesters, you know, through people who can reach out on Twitter because they've opened up, and we can find out what the intentions are really, really fast. And it's funny to me that online people continue to operate as if it is impossible to know how they meant things to work. So whether it's an evil eye from a game dev watching you use and abuse his <laughs> malefic lord typo. Uh, or if it's like literally a tweet from Pete Foley talking about, you know, when you can use your command point rerolls, we can learn that, you know, they can very easily reach out and tell us what they meant. And it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's awesome. Although, anyway, so keep it up, Games Workshop. Yes, you're, GW, you guys you're are doing listening. great. We appreciate it. Uh, but, um, Thumbs up, guys. M- moving on to, to uh, tournament format. So this, this is another... Another argument that I, I see a lot of people who, who don't go to tournaments or, or who attend tournaments very rarely, um, who are kind of the anti-tournament crowd, um, use, and that's is uh, what, you know, like comp and, and formats and like this format's better than this format. I'm not going to go to this because it's an ICC event, event et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different, different arguments I've heard online. Um, and the, the one thing I want you guys to take from this, from this particular part of the main topic is um no matter what format you go to no matter what tournament you you go to with with its own format i I think you're still going to in general have a good time um especially if there's more than 30 people right so so just if you guys could go out there and and act as ambassadors for competitive 40k and tournament 40k and anyone who says, like, oh, I'm not going to go to this format because I don't like the ITC missions, or I don't like the Nova missions, they're too complicated for me, or, or whatever, just just tell them, like, hey, you know, this it's a tournament, you know, you're here to have a good time, bring your list. I've have yet, I have yet to see a comp or tor- format that, like, physically prevented a list from being played. Um, I, you can bring lists to different tournaments, and if you're a good player, you can do reasonably well at all those tournaments, right? You not, might not win tournaments. Like, you might not win uh, ITC, 7th edition, a 7th edition ITC tournament with, like, anything like that isn't MSU, right? Or, like, three nights. You might not win, but you, you'll probably do pretty well, right? So it, that's just one thing is the there is no best format. Um, and the people across the board, across the spectrum, who, who say that this format is better than this format, uh, or or, I'm or not this is pure thirty, this is pure forty k. Yeah, or playing like, a real forty k. Yeah, uncomped forty k is BS, 
right? Or comp 40k is BS. Like I, you know, you should play out of the rule book, and that you know, like you're the way you play is wrong. Those people, um, respectfully, I, I, you guys, you guys are all toxic, and you guys can all stick it where the place where the sun don't shine, so to speak. Because, I, I think if 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 I can I put it maybe that. a little more eloquently, a little more eloquently, I think comp generally comes down to aesthetics. Yes. Um, sometimes when you're, you know, when you're talking about mission design and all that kind of stuff, yeah, okay, that's maybe more about how the actual competition unfolds. But a lot of people are, you know, right now banning Forge World or, or like putting limits on the amount that they have or even the power power level limit. And it's just, you know, literally, how do you got, want your game to look? Do you want to have big stompy robots just crushing everything? Is that the kind of game that you want? Um, and some people will say absolutely yes. Some people will say no. That's stupid, man. I want my little dudes running around. So right. I think and, it comes down to aesthetics, and and your local scene has a lot of freedom to say you know whatever they want with their comp. Comp can do a lot to make things actually a lot more accessible for more people. Get those tournaments bigger. Have more fun. Um, yeah. So I think comp is a dirty word right now because we have a fresh edition. I don't think it necessarily needs to be. I think there's a lot of cool things you can do with it. Right, and and if you, it, the other thing too is if you disagree with a specific comp or a specific format uh, or or the way a tournament is run, uh, if you don't like it, um, that that's fine. Like you don't have to like everything. You don't have to like every format. Um, but just you, you do me a favor and either give it a chance um, or don't tell other people not to go. Which I think that's where that's where the biggest bridges and that that's where the where i am most passionate online is not when people disagree with another format but when people actively try to stop other people from doing certain things um or or dissuade them from doing things uh because of their own personal beliefs and obviously right right now with like the the football kneeling for the national anthem thing that this is how does that relate well well essentially it, it relates to people um infringing on other people's rights to to be their own person right uh removing other people's agency right comp is a first amendment issue right right so it's essentially i know i know this is a little bit off topic here um but uh, essentially in comp 40k is is the reason why i'm bringing all this up is because how to play 40k how to comp 40k how to pick the best 40k format is is traditionally always very divisive in the community no matter yeah. what side you're on right even in the tournament and scene yeah. there there's like the nova guys who sometimes they don't like the itc guys and then like the itc guys don't like the etc guys and the etc guys don't like everyone right or, or whatever right. right like that that all of that may or may not be true i was using it all as examples um but the point is is that even internally within the tournament 40k crowd um people Picking the best format for a tournament is divisive, and it, it can just it can kind of detract away from the overall uh, point, which is to get people to come out to these tournaments and play this awesome game yeah. that we love. Yeah. Um, and I think I think too, it's 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 gets kind of back to that like scandal over the Razorwing flock that you were talking about, or the characters list. It's like right. what is too far is really really arbitrary and, and dependent. Almost every tournament. Almost every tournament has their own missions, you know, whether they use ITC or whatever, they're not going right out of the rule book. Maybe it's an interpretation of something in the rule book, but it's almost always different. And no one cares about that, you know, <laughs> like, and I, and I, and I don't, and I don't get why, um, you know, maybe putting a detachment, like a limit on a certain detachment would, would cause an uproar and people would say, well, I'm not coming. 
but you can mess around with the missions just fine. You can say how many points it is just fine. Um, it's just really funny what people get upset about. And maybe as tournament players, just being you know, more open to going out and playing, supporting events, giving feedback on whether or not a certain comp was good or not, and why you thought it was that way, being civil and, and open about your opinions. But still participating, I think, is the, the best way always to go. Yeah. So, so let let's go and what are what are some fallacies of um of people who make the argument of you know oh this format is bad or or I'm not going to this tournament for this particular format um that that you've kind of come across Val. Um. Well, yeah. Are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I'm just... talking about like like um like when people say uh, when people say like uh. But comping X just results in a in a stronger Y. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that that comes back that comes back to I think my my earlier point about aesthetics. Yes, the 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 the, the weaker X uh, results in the stronger Y. But maybe that stronger Y is somehow appealing and okay. There's not really a lot of people upset about Imperial Guard being very good right now when they were really mad that Eldar and Tau were super good at one point. You know, it just, it seems to make sense that that army would be really good, and it seems more palatable. It looks more diverse. It's just cooler in a more cinematic way. Um, so when you nerf things or take things off the table, really what you're changing is what the look of the game is and whether or not that's acceptable to people. So when you say, you know, you're, you're just making other units stronger, absolutely you are. And really the good players are always going to figure out what the stronger unit is, what the benefit is. And they're probably going to go out there and they're probably still going to win. And it might be more fun for the people at the middle tables who are, you know, unfortunately playing me. <laughs> oh, I think you're a pretty nice guy to play personally. So those middle table guys, I think <laughs> yeah. they're in for a treat. I'm the definition of the middle table tryhard, buddy. Uh, so, so, you're, so you're the guy, you're the four, four and one, uh, three and one guy who's like, I really need to get to four and one. I don't want to. If I end this tournament with two losses, I will go kill myself. You're that guy. I've actually only been in the three and one scenario once, and everything went wrong. Um, so thanks for bringing that up, Pablo. I'm, I'm so sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, um, move moving on to uh, talking about uncomped 40k. So so we we talked about um comp 40k and how uh, it is kind of uh, how to comp it is is wrong but i, I just wanted to, to add one thing and that's um straight straight out of these notes but uncomp 40k is always the harshest you know way to play 40k essentially so so in the end if you if you go to a tournament and you don't want to play because they they've changed the the way 40k is meant to be played right like oh they you know they banned lords of war that's not the way 40k is meant to be played like well hold on Hold on there, Tiger. Uh, traditionally, playing straight out of the rulebook 40K is traditionally the most hardcore, you know, rules-abused format, right? Like, yeah. Especially 7th edition. In 7th edition, oh my god. Un, uh, fresh out of the rulebook 7th edition uh, included Unbound, right? I could just bring an army of five Wraith Knights, six Wraith Knights. And, and, <laughs> sure. And when the only argument... In, in, in your you, you can literally do that as a bound army now. Yeah, you anyway. can literally do that now too. It's not as good, but um, but the the point is is that when that is your own when your only argument is but people won't do that, um, I think you're kind of losing that argument, buddy. Like, like you know, 
people people can do that and people will do that. GW used that yeah. argument, right? What what with the two up rerolling invuln saves when they, they they chose not to fix that in any way. When they created that, when they were made a well of that, where are that? They're like, well, people don't do that. Who does that? Like, well, GW. Yeah, there isn't the FAQ in the in the unlikely event that these units would be ever put together on the battlefield was in right. one of their FAQs. But, but it was, like, yeah, you jinx. It was not <laughs> an unlikely thing. It was actually this thing that was pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, just, just to, just to kind of that—that's kind of like an a anti-tournament person fallacy that I hear a lot. Um, that I just wanted to address. So it's kind of yeah. funny. And I think, uh, I think too, that might also be why a lot of people on Daka Daka complain about you know the relative power level of of these games and how unbalanced they are. Like I said earlier, tournament usually is pretty balanced when you're when you're playing against people who've come out with lists to, built to win. Um, you know, usually, especially in eighth, I feel like a lot of times you've got a chance, you know, you're not usually blown off the table. Um, whereas if you're just, you know, little Timmy going into the, the, the shop with what he thought it was cool and you're just playing right out of the book, you're going to get your face melted sometimes. Right. Um, which, you know, leads to people being very upset and writing things in caps lock and saying mean things to Pablo. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I was reading something, but, um, yeah. So, uh, essentially, Thanks. yeah. So, sorry about that. <laughs> We're laughing right now. Um, there's there's a little bit of a so there's these notes. We're in a Google Drive doc. We're reading the notes. Um, and Val just keeps highlighting things and distracting me. And I oh, unfortunately I have a. That. I can see I can see everything you do, Val. I'm watching everything oh, you're doing dang. right now. Uh, okay. Stop! Stop doing that. That is gross. That is disgusting. Uh, is that, is no, that, you, is, is that like the GT better. winning orc list? <laughs> no, anyways. Um, so, so it's a reason to subscribe to the BCEP app, by the way, B, yeah, attack oh, yeah. X, the attack X winning list guys. It's a nice little Easter egg. You're all going to love it. Get out there, it's, sign up for BCP. So I, th I would say that check it out. That, that is worth the subscription to check the list alone. 100%. As, you're not uh, gonna be. You're not gonna be upset about it's, it. It's the winning orc list. Um, I actually mentioned it on my last podcast. So, so um, it, it's just it's funny. Anyways, um, so after that, you're, wanting, you're gonna want to go to meatspin.org. No, no, no! Don't do that, guys. Not, don't listen to <laughs> don't Val. Do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Val was. I, I was. That's. Anyways, um, so we'll have a fix. Didn't mean it. <laughs> um, let you know there are there are some problems with competitive 40k. So. We've been talking a lot about uh, how good tournament play is and how good competitive 40k is, and it really is. It's something that I feel every person who who has painted a model and assembled a model should experience. Every single person should experience a good sized RTT or a good sized GT. Not maybe not an eight person RTT. Um, you, you know, like the, there's nothing wrong with those, especially for tournament organizers who want to grow their scene. Um, but but they're just they're not they're not big spectacles. They're not this big deal. Right, so I feel like everyone who has played 40k and has picked up models should go to a, a GT, right? But there there are some things where competitive 40k uh, goes wrong, and um, here's just a list of things um, and what you guys we can kind of do about it to fix it um, because the game isn't perfect and we do have to constantly fight all of these misconceptions about tournament 40k on the internet, um, but some of them aren't unfounded, right? So yeah. Um, the fir the first thing is is uh, tabletop games are different to video games, right? So you 
you don't have to in a video game you don't have to physically share space with someone um or spend multiple multiple hours you know talking to them interacting with them socially physically you know um and and uh beat them right at something at something that that's that's not easy to do right with random dice involved too so like if i'm playing pokemon or call of duty or someone with some random scrub online right like i i i don't have to really be on my best behavior because I'm, I'm either they're either this random paired person randomly paired person that i'm never going to see again um yeah or, or they're not actually physically here with me so so you know i can kind of be a little more abrasive or or focus more on the actual game because that's the that's the point of the of call of duty or those video games is i'm focusing on the game not the player but with tabletop games um you require some basic social skills uh and yeah that that's that can be kind of a problem when you have traditionally people who who may not um, have the best social skills or who who maybe are well, so I'm... competitive that they don't focus they focus less on being a good social person or, or being someone who who has good social skills and fo- they want to focus I'm, more I'm... on winning. Right, go ahead. I, I, maybe I feel like I'm a little spoiled by GTs. I feel like the the type of people who you know plan months in advance you know, get their hotel room booked, you know, they tend to, you know, and, and attend a GT. Usually, I don't know, they seem to be like sociable people because they're that passionate about playing a game that you have to physically stand and play with somebody. Like it is a very much a, I don't know, it's a very social game just at its at its base. And as a result, like in a video game, the video game takes care of the actual game part for you. You know, we were talking about rules for a while there and I think what's one of the big things is is that you know the two of you have to have sort of an agreement to you know play it fairly. You have to have you know good etiquette. You got to roll your dice where people can see them. You've got to you know measure things properly and just try and be you know a fair and not shysty player. Um, it's more like I don't know if you've ever played golf, but um, I have sort of a bit of it, golf is the same by the way for like frustration levels, trying to keep a cool level ahead. Um, <laughs> But in golf, you know, you're responsible for calling your own penalties. Um, so, you know, the player themselves are the ones who are supposed to, like, dock a stroke or whatever if they make a mistake. 40K is really the same way. If you, you know, left yourself short, you know, it's pretty easy to squeak the guy up a little bit if, 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 you're, if you're feeling that way. But honestly, you know, you should play above board and observe rules as, as best you can and never knowingly cheat. Yeah, and, and it's a lot... It, there, there's an honor system to playing 40k uh, that, exactly. that that can kind of make you know a tournament of 40k seem a little daunting, or 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 I can see people being wary about it for just that that reason alone. Um, that's kind of something. But that's you, what. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say that's that's exactly what the 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 social contract stuff you hear people talk about all the time is about is like is that agreement to to observe you know the rules and and know your stuff and like come there prepared to play yeah exactly and and that's that social contract is something that's very important but it's also something that can be lost on people too right so so going back to the requiring basic social skills and the and uh sometimes people aren't necessarily they don't focus they don't give their opponent the courtesies that maybe their opponents deserve like there there's between if you and i were ever square up at a tournament val uh we would have a very specific social contract uh, kind of an agreed upon way to this game is going to go right we know that rules mm-hmm. we know that we're going to go each other it's it's maybe not but uh the point is we know there's going to be that we know there's going to be a winner and a loser um 
We know that there are rules that we must adhere to. We're not going to cheat each other, hopefully. Um, and it, at the end of the day, the you know we're going to focus on this co competition, but after it, we're going to be friends, right? Um, but yes. on the flip side, I've gotten into rules arguments with people. Um, perfect example: facing the green gray tide, Evan uh, from Nova. I he, was, he was throwing some shade on you, by the way. Oh, he, I don't know if you listened to the most recent podcast. I, I did not listen to the most recent podcast. He said podcast. it was the gotta, worst, worst game, uh, worst game he's ever. That. I don't believe that at he all. He said that. He said this Ooh. guy is, is a monster. He's ah. a big timer. So that you didn't even shake his hand. Oh, did I, I could have sworn I shook his hand. I'm, I think you're joking. I think you're messing with me. Um, it's what they call Canadian humor. Yeah. Anyways, um, so so when I was playing Evan, actually not funny. It's weird. It's it's not funny at all. It I actually think it was pretty funny. Anyways, so when I played Evan, um, we we got in a lot of rules disputes. We called the judge over three or four times, but Evan and I both agreed after the game that it was one of the most enjoyable, pleasant games either of us have played. Uh, afterwards, I was told that that the judge, one of the judges, asked Evan like, "Hey, man, like, there's a lot of rules questions. Like, are, is he is he being mean? Is he you know?" Is, is he trying to game you? And Evan was like, no, no, man, everything's cool. Um, but that that kind of that that kind of reminds me of of the idea that you know a tournament player has a different mindset than a, a someone who doesn't regularly go to tournaments, right? So Evan sure. and I are both tournament players. We both uh, Evan helps run a very large tournament in Warzone Atlanta, which I hope goes amazingly well as it did last year. Um, Does he? Yeah, he's the the FTG the FD gt guys all help run that I, I don't know if he helps run it or if he can be seen it but i always associated that event with those guys um that might be completely mm -hmm. wrong obviously i don't i don't think the to uh -huh. is one of those guys but i've always kind of associated actually they were they were talking yeah, on, the, on the last episode they were talking about yeah uh, about going so yeah i don't think they, they run it but they definitely attend the, yeah the, anyway yeah i might be wrong but um uh i've been wrong before but the point is that we're both we're both guys in the scene right yeah. Um, we have this mindset, you know, so we, we agreed, even though we got into rules disputes, we, we agreed not to let it affect us. But, um, I've gotten into rules disputes with players who are newer to tournaments and they've come up to me afterwards and said like, Hey man, like, I know you're one of the frontline guys, but you know, that was very unpleasant. Right. And I was like, Oh shit. Like, you know, I, the, I just literally had a worse rules argument with a tournament player last round. You know, that's kind of confusing to me. Can you explain it? And they're like, well, I didn't like the way you said this. I kind of felt like you disregarded what I was saying here, blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. I realized it's just what tournament Pablo is different than a podcast Pablo who is different than, you know, uh, home at home Pablo, right? So it's, making sandwiches, Pablo actually right, sounds very similar. Actually, I think you're right. But, but the point is, is that, people adopt different mindsets when they play tournaments. And if you're not into that mindset, if you don't have that mindset already ingrained in you, um, something that someone normally will be able to get away with socially or say might offend you still. Right. So that, and I feel like that's, that's where the main problem is um, with the social contract think, and where we I think in have general, to... I think in general, people don't like conflict, you know, that's like true. they want to just get along. So I think when you have, you know, people pushing their point really strongly on a certain rules issue, um, that's why TOs are around. So if, if, if you really genuinely feel like you're being pushed into an interpretation that you don't think is right, it's, it's eighth edition, man. BCP apps out. Like the TOs are chilling. Like they're not doing anything. They're just talking to their pals and checking Facebook. Go ask them a question. That's Bring them true. over to the table. Get a ruling. Don't be afraid to to be like, hold on. I, and, and that way you're not going to walk away from that game thinking, did I just get hosed by Pablo the 
the silver tongue wizard who just rules lowered me out of like winning this game. I would never. You want to make sure that. that everything. Well, I mean, uh, I, they didn't even they didn't even sound bro. they didn't even sound. <laughs> Anyways, um, but but you're but you're right. Uh, there there are lots of resources. Did I say silver tongue or lizard tongue. I'm um, not sure. I, I, late. It's late. I think you I think you said both. I think I think you said silver tongued oh. in in parcel tongue. So I, I meant I meant that one. <laughs> Anyways, um. Uh, there, there are plenty of resources out there for for you to to be both be prepared when you go to a tournament, um, and yep. also to get your rules answered to prevent conflict. Uh, because trust me, TOs don't want players arguing over rules. Players don't want to argue over rules. They want to play the game, no. right? It's exhausting. Um, yeah. So so just use whatever resources you can. I even have buddies of mine who call me on you know not a, a regular but like a semi monthly basis uh, about rules questions. They'll be like, hit me up on Facebook Messenger or give me a phone call. And they're like, Pablo, do do characters do characters still get overwatched even if they're not the closest model? And I'm like, yeah. Man, yeah, I'm trying to shoot. see my daughter. Leave me alone. Uh, I'm sorry, your commissar just got killed by a bunch of Tau fire warriors in Overwatch, but too bad and they're like ah pablo said i was right it, it happens a lot um but th there are resources for it and and the the next thing is it kind of like one of the one of the reasons why players uh, another reason players don't like tournament play is the idea of slow play um as you pointed out in the notes eighth edition didn't fix slow play um we have to fix slow play uh, and it can be kind of hard um, when there's a lot of rules arguing. Um, there's, you know, there's people want to win. They they want to think. They don't want to make the wrong decisions. Um, there's careful movements, et cetera, et cetera. In a tournament, slow play can be a bit more of a problem than in a casual game where there there's probably not a time limit. Uh, both players yeah. probably don't want to focus on winning so much. Um, there, there's less rules lawyering because, like you said, there people don't really like conflict. Um, you know, it's just it's just in general slow playing can be a problem at tournaments um i think uh, i think that's ahead. probably an affliction maybe of the person making that jump from you know playing with friends to the to the tournament game because like i remember when i was preparing to like play my first game ever and you know the the, the round times were advertised like first tournament the round times were advertised at like two and a half hours i was clocking like four five Whoa. this is seventh edition you know like I, I knew that the biggest hurdle i had to actually playing and having fun in a tournament was actually getting through the game fast enough and knowing the rules well enough to get through fast enough so i think slow plays maybe maybe a bit related to people adjusting to that tempo to that pace because you don't have the time to hum and haw over every single thing you're deep striking every single little thing you've got to be able to make fast decisions and you're you know as you're learning how to be competitive you're going to probably make mistakes doing that and that's just part of the learning curve like watching again like to use the ganyo versus kelsey example watching ganyo just measure his ranges as he's going up and down is, is really kind of neat he's always he's always sort of in motion moving thinking deciding what he's going to do next and that is just a level that i'm i'm, I'm definitely not at i'm still very much the player who is surprised that his turn has started and then moves as fast as he can but you know, like I, I, I at least I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to play as fast as I can. And I think that sense of urgency is just something that players need to get in their head when they're in the tournament because you don't want to have a game end prematurely. And again, you're going to have that sour taste in, in your mouth because you ran out of time. And, you know, especially if your opponent could have won, but maybe you were dragging a little, you know, you don't want that. Like, so try and hustle out there, guys. I mean, 
I'm not a fast player by any stretch, but I'm definitely going to try to play as fast as I can. Right. So this, I actually, I kind of agree and disagree with you at the same time. Um, I, I do agree that conditioning, it, um, player conditioning players for a tournament environment is one of the bigger reasons for why players might play slow. Um, but there's a little bit of a phenomenon that goes on because uh, when I when I uh, when I go to events or, or when I um, cover events. I, I mm-hmm. tend to like with the BAO, right, or the LVO. The, there's, I'm always there at the end of the rounds, and I, I'm looking around, and I'm, I, I look around to see how many players are left. I'm trying to figure out who's left. You know, did did Ganyo beat Pajama Pants, et cetera, et cetera. It, there's always players that that are playing at the top tables whose games are still going on to the final seconds, and players at the bottom tables laughing, having a good time, who didn't even realize that they're the the round ended. <laughs> sure. Right, but but there's this yeah. huge, especially when you have, especially when you have um, tables set up so that the table one is the top tables and then table eight hundred is the bottom tables or whatever. Right. Um, you yeah. you see it, right? So there's this huge mass of empty tables. It, at the LVO, it's perfect. So you see this huge mass of empty tables, right? Just just like a bunch of people all in their clicks, but armies put away, people talking, having a good time. The very very far corner, you see two guys. One guy's been drinking the whole time. The other guy's playing there's a judge standing next to him telling them to like like hey guys around edit and they're just laughing having a good time right they're they they are part of the slow playing problem but they are not really the problem uh, but i think i feel like they are also partially you know what you said they, they have not conditioned themselves for the tournament play um clearly and also it, bottom it might be oh, yeah on, it might me, be a bit let me finish I'll, yeah, I'll, let, let me finish. finish real quick sorry sorry um but at the other end the, sorry, there's yeah. That the, at the other end, there there's top ta- the top players who who are playing, and so I think I think that it's kind of a little bit of a a, a straw man, in that if you go to a tournament, you're like, oh, I'm I'm gonna play that person. It's gonna be a slow game. We're not gonna get to turn three. When in actuality, the slowest games, the ones that never finish or or prematurely don't finish and, and go to time, are either between the most competitive players or the least competitive players, and that's it. Like that, there's hey. the middle of the road people like Val who are hustling and, and trying to finish their, trying to get to three and three, you know, the, <laughs> grinding. Um, the, those are, those are the, the ones who I think finish their games on time. And I think those are the majority of games that you, a player will play. Right. And get cool. those, those style of games. But anyways, go on. Sorry, Val. Then well, you just, just went, you went right on that top rope and you like pointed at me and then you like flipped in the air and then did some wrestling <laughs> stuff to me. Just, oh, I'm sorry, just, buddy. like smacked you down. You smack. It's all right. It's, it's not like I wrote the notes or anything. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, one one thing I guess we'll move on from that point. Uh, and actually, I think it's a fair point that you make. Um, Thank you. I just was speaking more of a not top table guy who's very conscious of not wanting to be the slow player guy. So maybe that's what was clouding that. You know what, Val? Um, you were and not I always a slow play player. orcs. And I always play orcs or or like drone drone net back in the day, so I, I like to bring lots of models for some dumb reason. Uh, anyway, uh, I think the next point is though, like uh, at competitive play, you might have I don't know. It depends on who you play. A friend of the show, Diogo, I think is a really f- like fair player in in the sense that you know if you if you screw something up within reason, he's he's not gonna like. Um, I don't know, really, really screw you over or like really twist the screws unless it's like something substantial. And I think that's kind of the point um, where when you're playing games that, you know, if you make a mistake, sometimes your opponent will be forgiving and let you do a take back or maybe 
go back if it's not that big of a deal to do a phase you missed. But sometimes you kind of have to learn that hard lesson um, and not get the take backsies. And that's really frustrating for some people and um, can be really hard, especially when you're not maybe a really tuned up player to, you know, make a mistake that, you know, is going to be really damaging your chances. And that's why you're losing and not be able to take it back. And I don't know. I feel like sometimes those hard lessons need to be made and learned um, because that's the best way to never do it again. You're absolutely right. And that, and that can actually, you're, you're right. The hard lessons do suck. And that can be a detractor from um, people attending events. Um, and that's just something that's just something you you kind of have to take your licks, right? So, so oh, if yeah. you go to a tournament, that's also part of that tournament mindset. Is um, you you know, Pajama Pants, Sean Nade, and Andrew Gagno, they didn't start off being the best 40k players ever. I'm pretty sure there's a point when Pajama Pants was you know on a table with poorly painted models. You know, maybe it was his first big GT, and he's just getting raffle stomped by someone who'd been playing the game longer than him, right? And obviously, he he didn't let that deter him from going to more tournaments. Um, but it's just that there are there there are uh, going to be hard games for you to play if you're a newer player and you're going to tournaments. And if you're listening to this podcast, or if you have a buddy who's going to a tournament who's maybe worried about that, like you just have to tell them like, listen, it's their first tournament. Everyone started somewhere. You know, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have to. You're probably gonna have an, a, a personal unfun experience in the form of maybe you made a mistake, um, maybe your opponent took advantage of, of something you didn't know, uh, or maybe you lost um, because due to time or whatever reason, right? For for whatever reason, there there might be this negative experience. It's very very possible, um, and you kind of have to look past that because in general, the more you go to tournaments, uh, the the less these experiences will happen, um, and that's just yeah. because you you know you have conditioned yourself. To not experience to, to to not let tournaments affect you negatively, right? Well, so, and I think too. I think part of that is like having, and this is another, maybe another little thing that annoys me about some of the internet chatter is like zero respect for people who are actually good at this game. And because I have, as someone who tries really hard, like I have a lot of respect for guys who can go out and actually like consistently win and not make those mistakes and clearly have worked at this. So it's like I think a bit of a question of being just a little bit humble about it. Um, sorry, just being a little bit humble about it and you know, setting realistic expectations for yourself. And if you are, aren't necessarily you know, in it to win it and you know, you're not a top tier competitor, it doesn't matter, man. Like, you're gonna go out, worst case scenario, you're playing a bunch of games of 40K against people who really like it. You're gonna learn a ton, um, whether or not you ever go play a tournament again, which I hope you do. Um, you know, you're probably gonna learn a few things about the game and you're just gonna go to school for like, eight to 12 hours and have a great time doing it. So I don't know. I'm a big fan of tournaments. I, I'm a huge fan of tournaments as well. Um, that's basically it guys. So if you guys liked this episode, if you guys liked Val and what he did and you would like him back on the show, email me frontline gaming, at gmail.com, or you guys can, you can just email me your lists like you guys normally do. And I will do my best to answer your lists as fast as I can. Um, the, the email questions have been coming in a little slower lately guys um which is good that's a, it's a great thing because that means um i have more time to answer them all uh, and i'm not getting bombarded with questions so you know feel free to email me uh, i don't mind getting questions at all um i maybe don't always have time to answer them all but i do my best uh, what i want to know pablo is what is what is the 
rules question hotline that we can be calling. What can I be texting? You know, what's 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 the Cali digits? So, that so I gotta be? what's what's really Just funny? Just you guys. I mean, you can give me your burner me. number if you want. No, no, you guys can actually call me if you. I, people do. People call me at this number for rules questions. I'm not joking. Uh, so, uh, you guys can call Frontline Gaming the offices one eight 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 seven eight one five one two zero. People do it anyways, so I might as well just put it on the podcast. Uh, That is the direct number to the warehouse that is actually where I'm working, where I spend the majority of my time. Um, And TOs will call and ask about ITC questions. I have TOs say like, oh, did you guys ban 31 power level plus? Like, does that work for you guys? Or how do I start an ITC event? I get those questions a lot. Um, I get rules nice. questions like, like, can nice. I really bring my Gilliman in my guard army? Like, is that really a thing I can do? I get that question occasionally. Um, so somewhere, somewhere there's a guy who used to work in the, in like the games workshop ordering department. Cause they used to do, they used to have a service where you could call them and like, they were like the rules trolls and they would just give you like hot takes on what they thought the rule was. when oh, you were arguing no. with <laughs> So like somewhere there's like an old GW vet who's like, Yes, someone knows what I went through all those years. <laughs> someone somewhere. Um, it's <laughs> it's not that bad, honestly. It, it it's not. It maybe happens like twice a day ish. Um, uh, it depends on the day. It, anyway, about well, twice not, a day. Now it's going to be like three or four that's times okay. a day. That's not a big deal. Um, but all right. A, a lot of the times, people will call in, and this is this is a hint to you guys. People will call in wanting to purchase a model and then they find out uh the guy that they're talking to actually knows about the game that they're they're buying into and they'll either ask a question or they'll they'll recognize my voice and they'll ask me a question and then they'll it'll just come down to like a fun casual conversation like like hey uh i want to buy these centurions what's the best way to kit them out and i'm like oh well you know so and so just won with these centurions here at this tournament and they're like oh you know tournaments and then it just goes on and on it's a good a lot of good back and uh-huh. forth um, now, just just speaking on behalf of your employer, I hope you're going for the hot upsell on that one. Uh, definitely, you guys can call yeah. us. You guys can buy GW product at 15% off MSRP. Ooh, oh heck shipping. yeah! Uh, as a matter of fact, if you listen to this podcast, reason Frankie won't mind. Uh, if you listen to this podcast right now and you're listening, and you want to call in and buy a GW model, I will take free ship. I will knock the shipping off your entire order for GW. So wow. boom, just 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 wow. Promo code. Pro- promo Pablo code. Dude. Pablo, you gotta this say is, this Pablo. is a first handy. This is a first this handy. This is a first handy. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, g- give me a call. Uh, now that Val brought it up, I just created a rules hotline. I think I'm gonna regret that decision, but hopefully it's right, not. Man, you can just you can just lop this one right off the, the chat. It's fine, no <laughs> problem. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you guys learned something about the the relationship between competitive 40k players and players who don't play competitive 40k or painters and and other 40k enthusiasts um and if there's one thing i really wanted you guys to take from this it was that you know we're all we're all 40k we're all gamers we're all the same gamers of a different play it sounded better in my head we are all the same flavor of gamer pie right different slices but, yeah. but we are one big 40k pie and we are a small pie in the in the world even in the gaming world all right uh there's not 40k is a small community when compared to the grand scheme of of gaming right so just keep that in mind um we're a small community uh i i personally feel like there's no room for toxicity um you guys should all do your best to encourage each other no matter what you do no matter what your interest is you know if you like painting pink sisters of battle with 
third-party models, and they're all girls in bikinis. You do you, man. You you do you. That's cool. I, I honestly I didn't know that was an option until now, and uh, it's an option now. Uh, thank you for those stirring uh, stirring words, uh, Pablo. I, I I hope to see. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. For some reason, thank I had a wonderful on. time chatting with you. And uh, I'll be um, my next GT appearance uh, will be outside of Warzone Atlanta uh, because I don't have a ticket. So I'll probably just be hanging out maybe in the lobby um, trying to get people to buy me a drink. Uh, that's where I'll be. Nice. Well, I hope you get into Warzone Atlanta. Thanks, guys, very much for listening and have a good one. Later.